RPN is not responsible for the views, actions, statements, or opinions of its guests, advertisers, or even its viewers. The information contained in this program is not to be confused with medical or legal advice. An appearance on this platform is not necessarily an endorsement, but as always, we encourage you to do your own research. Enjoy the show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Friday Night Livestream. Hope you guys are having a great day. My guest tonight is a returning friend, uh, Nurse Jody O'Malley, HHS whistleblower. You may remember her from... A little expose done by a group called Project Veritas. Jody has been a guest on the show before, and she's, of course, continued her efforts to expose the truth on a number of different venues. She's got a brand new book about her experiences, and she has some things lined up for the future that we're going to be talking about tonight. So if you would not mind, please do us both a favor. Hit the like button as you're coming on in. If you're on the Foxhole, hit the red pill. Uh, If you wouldn't mind as well, try sharing this out there on your favorite social media platform. I've shared it on Twitter and Truth Social and, of course, on Telegram, so you can repost those as well. But either way, I think it's going to be a great show. I'm looking forward to it. Hope you are as well. So without further ado... Sit back, relax, grab your popcorn, and I'm going to be right back after this with Nurse Jody O'Malley. Did you know that Bank of America is saying that gold is going to go to $2,200 this year? Now that is an all-time high. And right now you can invest in a gold IRA with Noble Gold Investments and take advantage of this rare opportunity to secure your retirement savings. With experts at Noble Gold Investments, you can ride out the wave of gold's historic rise to financial security. And this month, they're offering this free five ounce solid silver America the Beautiful coin with every qualifying precious metals IRA or 401k rollover. You just can't go wrong with Noble Gold. So hurry up and head on over to my special website, redpill78gold.com, and the experts at Noble Gold Investments can help secure your wealth. Plus, you're going to bag this free 5-ounce America the Beautiful coin if you qualify. Once again, that's redpill78gold.com, and when you support my sponsors, you support this channel. All right. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And please join me in welcoming my returning guest this evening, Miss Jody O'Malley. Jody, how are you tonight? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on again. I loved our last conversation. Awesome. Me too. I, I definitely enjoyed it. And I know the audience did as well. So, Jody, I want to start off, and I told you this in the introduction, I got to get your thoughts on Project Veritas, on the ouster of James O'Keefe. Uh, I'm hoping that you're going to be able to uh, continue to work, uh, you know, along these lines with citizen journalists, but 
I think a lot of people have a really bad taste in their mouth after what happened to James. I'd like to maybe get your thoughts as a Project Veritas whistleblower, what you thought about the situation. Well, I had bad taste in my mouth as well. Uh, I, I did express my opinions and thoughts on um, a meeting that we had with one of the CEOs. I think we call him the CEO, COO, um, not sure. New what leadership his anyways. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever <laughs> his title was. He came on live with us whistleblowers and you know, it, it just, I, you know, I told you this last time, I, I think we're in a war of good and evil, um, mm-hmm. essentially. And my opinion on what happened with PV was the devil trying to do its job and, you know, stop the momentum. Yeah. Uh, but then I also look at, um, I look at the bright side of things, right? The, the good and I see where James, you know, it's almost to me, be careful of what you wish for, right? Because James came into this, you know, with 10 plus years of undercover journalists. Um, You know, he had the integrity. He's done some, you know, crazy things, uh, you know, that exposed the evil. And uh, I believe in my personal opinion that he had spent so much time um, just dealing with the donors, right? Like constantly just being the face of PV and not um, doing what he really loved to do. And that was exposing and, you know, being boots on the ground. And now he has the ability to do that with OMG. And, you know, I, you know, people talked about them being infiltrated, um, whether they were infiltrated by Pfizer or they were were infiltrated by egos, which I think is probably more the case. Yeah. Um, they were intri- in, infiltrated by evil, and and you know, and that just ruined the PV name. And I I hate that so much because I loved you know saying that I was a Project Veritas whistleblower, you know, and now, eh, now it's sullied. Yeah. I mean, I, I I absolutely understand what you're saying because I cringe when I am in a position to use the name Project Veritas now. You know, it's like I looked up to Project Veritas so much and let's, you know, make no mistake, James O'Keefe was Project Veritas. I mean, he yeah. made them what they were. If it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for his talent, his influence, his instinct, then they never would have become the organization that they were and that maybe they still can be, or at least some approximation thereof. But without James O'Keefe, it wouldn't have been the same thing. And so now when I have somebody like you on, I would have said Project Veritas whistleblower Jody O'Malley. But I mean, you can't really say that now because people look at that and they're like, oh, you know, is she still working with Project Veritas? Why isn't she loyal right. to James? You know, right. but um I like where you uh, where your head was with that, because I, too, like to always look for the positives uh, in a situation mm-hmm. like that. And although it's it's tragic, you know, James O'Keefe now gets again to be the person who's actually doing the work, you know, brass tacks, yeah. nuts and bolts, uh, rather than having to stand around in the background and, and, and ask people to support the organization. And, um, and, you know, and with this kind of uh, refreshed 
in uh, uh, renewed vigor. He's going to be able to get out there and hopefully continue to bring us some really uh, hard-hitting exposés, which they have. They have done. And I have to be honest, I'm surprised Project Veritas has continued uh, as well, although to a diminished capacity, it seems. But, yeah. you know, um, I don't know. It, it, and I, too, think that it's more likely that perhaps people's egos got in the way. I, I, I man, you know, I mean, the... I, not that I don't think Pfizer could infiltrate an organization. Uh, it was very strange timing for those things to happen. But, I mean, I've seen it in a number of different spaces recently. People want to be powerful. They they want to feel like they're like king shit. They're number one on the block. And if they think that somebody else out there is uh, is threatening their their uh, their rule or, or their, you know, uh, ability to, to be that number one spot – then they lash out and they take them down, even, you know, in a space such as ours. I mean, I see it in alternative yeah. media all the time, people backbiting and, you know, just talking smack and uh, and, and trying to start things with that don't need to be started. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that James O'Keefe has uh, a long and illustrious career ahead of him. And uh, I sincerely wish him the best. And, and I look forward to having OMG whistleblowers on in the future. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I just saw too that, well, first of all, I'll make my statement. I do side with James O'Keefe. Yeah. Um, completely. And the, 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 everybody is aware of that. So um, that is where my loyalty stands. Uh, but I did see last night that he is starting um, a course. He's going to have a membership uh, course on training journalists. That's great. And I thought that is magnificent. Like, you know, because we do need to arm the citizens to do what I did, mm-hmm. pull out your phone and re- record it, you know? And so if he's teaching them how to do that, I think that is just beyond amazing because you know they only had their undercover journalists or their whistleblowers and i know that james what before all this went down he was really wanting to build up the whistleblower um part of it mm-hmm. so the fact that that got deterred right um i look at it like you said zach on the bright side so now he is going to train up hundreds if not thousands of people to uh be journalists and um and expose so yeah i mean you know whatever the enemy has for evil god can turn for good and Amen. and that is amazing for to me yeah yeah I, I totally agree with you i mean this is exactly what we need i mean this is this to me is what's exciting about like this kind of citizen journalist movement that we're a part of you know anybody can do something to kind of further the message, to get the information out, uh, to shine a light on the darkness, expose the corruption. And uh, and and all people need is just maybe a little bit of confidence or even just a little bit of education on exactly how that can happen. One of the things that I love about the whistleblowers that James was able to put together before, yourself included among them, uh, is their willingness to stand up in the face of like overwhelming adversity. I mean, we're talking yeah. about monolithic systems, okay, that exist to crush people. We're talking about medical murder in your situation. And you had the courage to stand up, to turn your phone on, to record some things and get it on the record, and then to open your mouth and, and show it to the world. And we need as many people like that as we can muster. 
because yes. the world is full of evil. I mean, there, this is this is this is the rule. This is not the exception. I mean, this happens every single day. And if you believe that you are too small to affect change in this world, then you need to think again, you guys, you know, because we can yeah. all be like Jody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. I, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the ego and the power. And I think that's what happens when people come out and they expose things or, or they, they get a large platform. Uh, Zach, I just looked at my numbers and I could not believe that across the board with my Instagram and my Twitter and my Facebook that I have like over uh, almost half a million views a month. And, but, but here's the difference with me is that I submitted to God, asked to follow in his will, and I left my ego and my will at the door. And that's why you don't see me, you still see me kind of chill, right? (laughs) Because, you know, I do when I say chill, like I'm not really chill, but, (laughs) you know, I'm not, I'm not a part of these tours, right? Essentially. Right. Because I did not go out there seeking this. I have literally been sitting back and in having God put the people in my life, having the discernment of the Holy Spirit to say, do I give my time and attention and energy to this? And and where do you want me? How do you want this all to play out? You know, and in not having my ego, because I, I, I was comfortable where I was you know, in the hospital, I was comfortable with the money and everything, Mm -hmm. but you know, with my, with my job, you know, working for the federal government, getting, you know, hazard pay of 25% on top of my six figure salary. Like those are the types of things. But again, I also know what it's like to clean houses. Mm -hmm. I also know what it's like not to, you know, live with that much money. And I never, really change my standard of living, making that. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have anything. They didn't have money over my head. So I couldn't like walk away, like where you have a lot of doctors or attorneys even that don't want to pick up these cases because they have this exorbitant lifestyle that they need, you know, to, um, to continue. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I didn't, I was modest in it and, and I'm still modest in my approach. I'm I'm still looking at different ways that I can help the masses, you know, and not, you know, um, just position myself in such a way where I can make a lot of money mm-hmm. because I don't want that life. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I oh, don't yeah. want that life. Yeah, it's so. uh, it's it's easy to sell out. It's it's difficult yes. to maintain your integrity. It's true. It's true. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we do, well speaking of, of of speaking, I understand you you are scheduled to uh, to speak at an Arizona State Senate hearing that's coming up on COVID, and I I, I would uh, assume the 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 medical response to what happened during the pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, <clears throat> so May twenty fifth and twenty sixth at the Arizona Senate, we they are holding a novel, and I don't know if you have uh, the the. Fl- Fire handy. Yeah, I'm pulling um, it up right now. Yeah, because I always butcher the name. <clears throat> okay. But um, essentially, okay. it's a committee hearing. Okay, it's the Novel Coronavirus Southwestern Intergovernmental Committee. That is a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and it's really having the experts come out and and speak on what happened. How did we get here? What was it? Like we have Kristen, Megan, and Tammy Clark, who are OSHA experts, mm-hmm. uh, pandemic response, government trained pandemic response, um, pathogen protection experts. That they'll come out and they'll they'll, you know, kind of lay the foundation of how did this begin? How did this start? You know, and and why? Why did we eliminate their voices? Mm-hmm. They they are the people that the government trained to handle this, but the only person that was speaking was Fauci, right? And and we've seen time and time again how the the response had failed, you know. But how do, how does somebody with half a brain not look back at that and say this was planned? Mm-hmm. This was absolutely planned. Right. You know, you're you're silencing the voices. And it was clear propaganda from the jump. And then you have the misinformation, disinformation campaign and all of that. And so what we hope to unpack and get on record is the the improper handling of COVID and what should have been done and hear from people like Curtis who we're going to have on the show from a thousand widows um, and, you know, the people that have, you know, that died due to the deadly hospital protocols. Yeah. And that's essentially what they were. They were deadly hospital protocols that were essentially changed overnight. And, you know, and we want answers. I, I, you know, I want answers. That's why I'm participating. I'm I'm hopeful to get answers and um, get some justice. That's what we need. So will this be an open hearing or a closed hearing? Will members of the public, if you are a viewer living in Arizona, will they be able to come and and watch this testimony? Are they going to have to watch it on like Arizona PBS or something like that? No, it's open. It's it's open to the public. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I guess I would say then if you are uh, an Arizona resident, you know, there's going to be a ton of people besides Jody and the other names she mentioned, uh, Pierre, uh, Dr. Pierre Corey is going to be there. Dr. Peter McCullough, uh, Mike Yoder. There's a whole bunch of great people that are going to be there. And I would also say that you could contact any of these people who are going to be hosting the committee, the Honorable Eli Crane, you guys know Eli Crane uh, in the House of Representatives, Andy Biggs, Paul Gosar, Janae Champ, uh, TJ Shope, Steve Montenegro, and let them know how important this particular hearing is going to be because uh, the information that these professionals like Jody are going to be presenting is uh, objective truth. Okay, they're going to be talking about their experiences. They're going to be talking about those unscientific practices and decisions uh, that were implemented overnight. Uh, These are are decisions that were used to murder many, many, many Americans all over the nation, not just in Arizona. So I, I want these politicians to understand that getting this information on record and actually recognizing what happened uh, will ensure, help us to ensure that something like this doesn't happen again. Because the only way that it's going to be able to happen again is if people stay silent or they somehow gloss over it. You know, they're just going to blame the Biden regime. No, it's a lot more than just Joe Biden or a couple of people. Dr. Fauci is is an easy face and an easy name that we can point to. Uh, But this was systemic, Jody. Okay, Fauci may have had a a, a hand Okay, behind the scenes, pulling the strings. Dr. Burks might have had a hand. Um, But there were medical professionals all over the nation who 
saw what was being dictated to them, handed down, Mm -hmm. and they said, well, yeah, this seems okay. You know, I mean, like, uh, uh, it doesn't take someone of of overly average intelligence to recognize that a number of these things that they were being told to do would result in death and uh, destruction. And, uh, And so that's what we need to make sure never happens again. Yes, Zach, you said it right. Um, We allowed it to happen. Medical professionals allowed it to happen. And, you know, some people would hear you say, you know, the people that were murdered in the hospital, Mm -hmm. uh, how, how could that possibly have happened? You know, murder, that's so extreme. Oh my gosh, you're like, totally over the top. But this is what I want to pose to the audience and to those that are listening and have conversations with their um, nurses and doctors that are their friends and family is what happened? Why did we change all known science, right? All known best available science. We call it um, evidence-based practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why did, how did that get changed overnight that people just stop looking and honoring their oath, their ethical principles that they, that they took to be in these positions. Right. And, and that's, that's the thing is, you know, people need to realize that they were brainwashed. They were brainwashed because of propaganda messaging. Mm -hmm. And what is propaganda? It's fear. What is the opposite of fear? Faith. Mm -hmm. And so all of the people that stood on the side of fear and, you know, even when they realized masks don't work, but they still kept it on. Yep. They still <laughs> kept it on. Right. Um, ventilators don't work, but you're still intubating people. You know, um, the, the vaccine doesn't work. But you're still encouraging people to get another booster. Mm-hmm. And, and so. These are the things that I hope that, you know, when I speak, I'm going to speak to the ethical principles and how they were violated, um, essentially. And I'm going to take people through that story. And I'm hopeful that I will touch the hearts and minds of those that were complicit. And I urge them to come forward and understand, listen, you only know when you know. And if right now, after hearing this or hearing us talk, something rings a bell in you, now you know. So Mm -hmm. now you are held accountable, right? right? Right. And and, then you're not necessarily held accountable to me or you, but what about your eternal soul? Mm -hmm. What's going to happen on Judgment Day? You're going to say, oh, I didn't say anything because um, I was afraid to lose my job. You know, that's another thing that we wanted to talk about as well, Zach, is- What has happened to me and how I have um, come out on top every single time. And that first started with all of the complaints that I got against my nursing license. And I think when you and I were on, I had just, um, I had just won essentially at the Arizona state board of nursing. They ordered me to undergo an ethics evaluation and I was deemed ethical in my disclosures and so my license is, co- you know, clean and intact and, and there's nothing, there's no blemish on it. Yeah. That's great. <clears throat> that, that's it. And then, then we have, you know, the order of protection that was put on me 
And I, you know, in all my videos and all my interviews, I never said who it was, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I just said that I had that order of protection. Well, I had to fight that twice. <clears throat> that meant having to pay for attorneys, go through the whole process. Um, and I could have let it stay on my record. You know, I could have let it stay on my record, but I knew what this person who wound up and I'm saying it now because she put herself out there again. And that was the pharmacist. The pharmacist put the order of protection on me because she got a couple of people that, um, you know, messaged her that what could be deemed as a threat, like you Nazi pharmacist, (laughs) you're just following orders, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. You know, um, that wasn't and, your fault, though. No, you, you never told anybody to message her. <laughs> no. And I tell everybody when I talk now, it's like, absolutely not. Like, we're, we're that's not who we are. That's not no. who we should be. No. Right. Um, every time, you know, let bullying. me just say this, Jody. Every time I hear about something like that, I automatically assume that it's like a planted threat. Like, it's coming not from somebody who's truly like a patriot or cares about America. It's somebody like a Democrat probably or like a DNC operative. <laughs> They're just trying to make you look bad because, uh, you know, you look out in the audience and I don't know a single person watching the show tonight that would think that would be a good idea. I mean, they're going to find you. (laughs) They'll know exactly who you are and you're going to get in trouble. It's just stupid. It's not going to solve anything either. It's stupid. And it doesn't, it doesn't solve anything, you know, but I did fight that. I did have a hearing last year and, um, and the judge and I lost and I, the judge upheld the order of protection and I was like, all right, whatever. I'm not trying to fight and spend thousands of dollars. So when it, you know, expires in September of 22, then I, you know, whatever, it'll be gone. Nope. Same judge issues it again. Mm -hmm. And now I'm pissed. Now I'm pissed and evil because we are on the side of truth. Um, We don't care about what's going to happen to us, right? Mm -hmm. Because God's in control, not, not us. We're we're not putting our faith in man. So that's the biggest thing. And, and then, so um, Ryan Heath with the gavel project, um, gavel project didn't do this. I, I paid him, you know, to do it, Ryan Heath uh, to come out and, and help us out here because Yoder has to, you know, he's federal and he has to, I forget what it's called, but um, Pro Hoc Vice or something like that, I think, Um, get it here. But anyway, Ryan helped me um, at that hearing and that lasted for three hours. Actually, the interview that I did with you, the judge... She brought it up as evidence. The judge brought it up? (laughs) No, no, she did. And we were almost so close to having to play our entire two hours in court. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's not, I got to be honest, it's not the first time it's happened. For some reason, my face and my show keep showing up in uh, court cases as evidence. Well, so what, yeah. what was the segment? What portion of the interview did they use? You know, I can't remember exactly what it was now. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, what she was trying to do was to get the judge to gag me from yeah. ever saying the pharmacist again. Oh, okay. <laughs> wait a second. I mean, it's it could have been any pharmacist. How how does anybody know that it's her specifically? I mean, I guess I don't know what the setup was at your hospital. Maybe there's only one pharmacist. <laughs> 
No, because she's in the video. Because mm-hmm. she's the one I exposed in the video. Okay. Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, when the judge and her attorney was asking me, like, why, why didn't you, um, you, you had every opportunity to cover up her face and her name, mm-hmm. and I said that is correct. I had the opportunity to go in the shadows as well, mm-hmm. and I decided if I'm not doing it. Neither are they. Yeah. I was the one who was actually, you know, on the extreme side um, of what mainstream media put out. Right. Mm-hmm. I was the one, you know, that really had more to lose than her because she was following orders, which, sure. you know, everybody did. And so, um, so it was Gehring and Himmler, <laughs> they followed <Yeah>. orders. <laughs> Oh. It's yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. But at the end of the day, the First Amendment's still alive and well. Although yeah. he did not give me grant me attorney's fees because he said that this was a close case. Hmm. And I'll tell you why they said it was a close case, because where we've come social media wise, mm-hmm. we have the opportunity to go viral. Right. And because my story went viral and I received, um, you know, the the story received a lot of attention um, was where the judge was like, "Eh, I don't know. I don't know. Are you at fault? And I'm sitting here thinking, like, how is this even how is this? How are we even talking about this? But I think that speaks to the state of confusion that abounds. Well, here's the thing, you know, like in in our modern world and in, in our uh, uh you know surveilled and 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 electronic modern world nobody has an expectation of privacy like anywhere and if you're in like you know a semi public area I mean, you should pretty much assume at all times that you might be being recorded and i i would assume that you were in a, a state that doesn't require for consent from both parties for recordings to be taken otherwise it would have been a, a wholly different situation so you know i i i wouldn't have found you at fault jody <laughs> well well and here's the funny thing about that zach is i had no idea when I agreed to go um, live with this, with Project Veritas, yeah. I had no idea what um, the one party consent, two party. I had no idea. Yeah. And here's the thing. I didn't care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't care. Even if it was, you know, even if I could have been criminally charged or whatever, I had a duty to tell people that people were dying. Sure. And nobody is collecting the data. I had a duty to tell people that pharmacists are being weaponized to follow orders so they will not fill, they will interfere in the physician patient relationship and refuse to prescribe safe medication. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing they don't have to determine if it's effective, they right. just have to determine if it's safe. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, I honestly did not know. And and my two sons, my my oldest was at the time 30 and uh, my son who was 12 or 11, you know, they were both like, yeah, expose it. And my daughter who is 27 with my three-year-old grandchild, she's like, are you going to go to jail? Are you going to do this? Just call an attorney. So I called some random attorney, spoke to the paralegal, said that I recorded in a federal hospital. And he told me, well, it's only a one party consent state. And I said, okay, well, cool. (laughs) Good to go. (laughs) Good to go. But I was going anyway. That's the Mm. thing. I was going anyway. So yeah, God bless you. That's great. (laughs) That's so great. 
All right. So, uh, well, well, since all of this has come out, <clears throat> the world uh, and I think the perception of uh, COVID itself, uh, the the safety and effectiveness of the vaccines, and of course the treatment that people were given in hospitals, it's all kind of changed. It's kind of evolved. Um, so in your personal life, you know, and just your, your efforts to bring this information out, have you noticed uh, a shift in the public perception or consciousness in any fashion? I've noticed the shift in um, the ivermectin. Yeah. Uh, people, you know, uh, even if you're, you know, a Democrat blue haired person, they have it in their cabinet now. Right. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. <laughs> Which I think everybody should. I think everybody should throw away the Tylenol and make sure they have ivermectin in their yeah. cabinet. You know, yeah. um, you know, it's still being prescribed. So you have to get a doctor to prescribe it, but lots more are prescribing it. There's pharmacies all over the country that will uh, dispense it. And, um, and lots of lives have been saved. And that's, that's doing large part to courageous doctors, you know, like FLCCC, Dr. McCullough, yep. Zelenko that came out and spoke out and um, really, you know, changed the course of this for many, many people. But I still see that people are still fearful, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that is where, like, I hope my book, which I've gotten a lot of good um, feedback from it. Uh, it's very, very uh, quick read. It's only 150 pages and um, essentially just shows my journey as a nurse in a federal hospital with COVID and how my faith got me through it all. And essentially, that is my mission now. My mission is to inspire um, confidence and courage so people walk in their calling. Uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, it, we got to put, put aside our will. And we have to trust the Lord with his promises that he knows the plans he has for us, right? Absolutely. And, and, and to walk in that. And so that's where I hope the, the book does inspire people. And I'm actually encouraging people to send it and you can, you know, I'll do it, um, you know, from my website, Jody O'Malley RN, or you can get it on Amazon, but send that book even anonymously to the nurse that took care of you in the hospital, the doctor that refused to see you anymore. You know, the family or friend that, you know, ostracized you from their life. Um, because it's meant to, to heal people. That's what it's meant to do. It's to heal. And anybody, like I talked about earlier, anybody that has the conscious realization that they were complicit in this, like we are welcoming that with open arms. You know, there's, mm. there's no judgment here. You know, we're not trying to crucify anybody. Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, people only know what they know when they know it. Uh, I mean, new information is coming in all the time. And that propaganda machine that you were talking about at the beginning of the show, I mean, it is strong, okay? I mean, you know, mm -hmm. speaking of the Nazis, you know, I mean, they, they basically fine-tuned propaganda. And when we won World War II, they brought all of that knowledge and that brain trust into the American government. So, I mean, they used everything that they had learned to uh, to deliver the same type of propaganda to the American people. And it has just, you know, quadrupled or, you know, even more uh, since the end yeah. of World War II. Uh, you know, the, the system that they have set up to brainwash people and, uh, and, and to just get them to go along 
with uh, whatever the cause du jour is or, or whatever the uh, the directive is that they've been given. I mean, it's really good. They, they've done an excellent job with it. And, uh, you know, that's uh, one of the reasons why I'm so glad that there are people like you, because when somebody breaks out of that programming, when they start, you know, talking about what's really going on, I mean, it causes that cognitive dissonance in people. And they're like, this is completely contrary to what I'm being told, even though like what they're being told is also contrary to logic. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like you, like in, in the case of uh, what happened during the, the scamdemic, you know, I mean, it, it should have been obvious to, to everybody that that people were dying as a result of what was being done to them. You know, one thing you didn't mention early on uh, is remdesivir, you know, I mean, like re- read the studies. I mean, you're always saying trust the science. I mean, the science is right there. You give people remdesivir and like 90 percent of the time they're just going to die. You know, I mean, like how else can you perceive that? Yeah, I mean, 90% is pretty high. Um, but well, I mean, wasn't it, it was like 50% or something. Like, 50% <laughs> yeah. of the time, sorry. <laughs> it, well, it, it complicates things, yeah. right? And, and and when you said, like, I didn't know about remdesivir until I blew the whistle, right? Yeah. And then I met what Dr. Artis was exposing with the table 2E characteristics of antiviral treatment and that stuff. And uh, incentivized people getting money for you know, or the hospitals, you know, getting rich off of COVID. Mm -hmm. We shut down surgeries, Zach. That is the number one moneymaker in a hospital. How did they do that? They did it because the government paid them to do it, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. And who is the government? Us. We're paying for it. And we will continue to pay for it. But yeah, that's it. it. Propaganda is real. And, you know, I spoke last time, uh, talking about the story of my my ten year old uh, back in 2019, I, we went and saw. Oh, oh my goodness! It just crossed, lost my train of thought. Oh, the rabbit. Oh, Peter Rabbit. Peter Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. Oh, Jojo, the jo- Nazi one. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Jojo Rabbit. Yes. that was a cute movie. Jojo <laughs> Rabbit. And and uh, he saw it. Jojo Rabbit, and he had said. And so we shut down for those two, three weeks. And I said, we we have to watch Outbreak. We're going to watch Outbreak because I'm going to show you what what needs to be happening in the world for us to want to even think about shutting down. Mm -hmm. And immediately he said to me, he's like, this seems like it's propaganda. (laughs) And and that's a 10 year old. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Smart kid. What a smart kid. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he's even smarter now, Zach, because I pulled him out of school. Yeah. Uh, I homeschool him. And, and um, you know, I don't homeschool him in a traditional sense where we're sitting behind the computer, you know, three hours a day or whatever. Uh, but this kid, he's smart. And, and that's another thing I want to encourage people is to spend time with your children. Get them out of this public education. Even if you think that you will do a worse job than the school, still pull them out because it's still going to be better. You know, <laughs> Even if you think it'll we, be worse, it'll be uh, measures better. <laughs> measures. Oh, it's, that's great. It's completely because you have to think about it. now. He's thirteen, yeah. right? He he started at ten with COVID, and so. You know, he's 13 years old. In five years, he's going to be 18 and he's going to be an adult. 
Yeah. What happened to these kids who were 14 when it came out or 16? Like they're, we, we got to help them. They're we a mess. Jody, those are the kids, yeah. those are the kids who were uh, uh, taking puberty blockers and estrogen and stuff. I mean, what, let me ask you this. Do you think that maybe there's a, a, a slight aspect of um, perhaps uh, playing catch up and uh, making that money that they left on the table during COVID by pushing all of these kids into getting gender affirming care. I mean, it seems just completely insane to me from an objective perspective. I mean, standing here on the outside because, you know, you look at somebody like that, uh, that kid jazz Jennings, okay. Who had the the TV show on TLC, you know, you've got a non-functioning set of sex organs. Uh, You know, your life is is a mess. It's like everybody can see that, Nothing is going in the way that you were told it was going to go. And yet these kids are still rushing out and their parents are co-signing this bullshit. I, I, I mean, like, what's going to happen to the next generation of American children when they can't procreate, when they're, you know, detransitioning and, and they don't know, like, what to do with their lives? Oh, you know, I will. So have you ever heard of Jonathan Kahn? The name sounds familiar. He's an author, right? He is um, a messianic rabbi. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. So I love him, and I have been following him for about ten years. Uh, actually, it's what changed the the feast that I celebrate. Like I, I celebrate the feast of the Lord mm-hmm. and Leviticus twenty three, Passover, you know, uh, feast of Tabernacles, those things. I don't celebrate Christmas or Easter anymore uh, because of because of what I've learned. But he has a really good perspective, and this is the one that I follow. Um, He's saying, essentially, that the gods have returned. And Mm -hmm. he has a book out there called Return of the Gods. If you type it into YouTube, you'll get like short little teachings on it. But essentially, if we look back in history and we see like when Jesus was here on earth, And he, you know, he died and while he was here, he, you know, um, essentially exercised demons from people. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when he died, he gave his apostles the ability to do that as well and to go out and heal. And so they went out and and they did this throughout all the, the corners of the earth. Well, at the time, then, um, they were having, um, Zeus, right? Zeus was, Zeus was a big God when Jesus was here, mm-hmm. you know? And so uh, essentially what his whole thing is, is that, you know, because of Jesus and the love of him, you know, the gods were silenced, you know, and with any spirit, like they don't die, you know, they are just, you know, sleeping. Th- exactly. Sleeping. Yeah. yeah. And so then what we have done in America is essentially like wake them up. You know, when you when you think of like, you know, all the abortions that we've had, you know, and and myself included, you know, because it was normal to have it. It was no big deal. They're not alive. And I and I sit there and look at that. It's like so a baby is a blessing when you when you decide that it's a blessing when the baby's actually born. Mm -hmm. But when you find out that you're pregnant and it's not the quote unquote right time. So what, what, who's your God? What's your God, your freedom, your time, you know, um, you're not honoring the, the gift that God gave you. 
And, and so I'm like, okay. And then you see how they've been targeting the children. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been tar- even us, you know, we, we didn't get taught on the constitution or anything like that. So when, you know, our constitutional rights were completely violated, everybody thought that was normal. They didn't think that it was a violation to mm-hmm. lock us down and, you know, have us wear a mask and, and all of those things. And so I feel that where we're at now in society is, you know, um, biblical prophecy for me. We're, we're there at the end times. Everybody on this planet knows that there's been an energy shift. Oh, yeah. And in, in all of it is, you know, a lot of it is evil purposes. You know, we, we stopped, uh, we stopped educating our kids. We told them that they could kill grandma. So mm-hmm. put a mask on. We stopped allowing them to socialize. We put caution tape up on the playground equipment. Um, we had BLM riots, letting them know that they can go out there and show their ass and, you know, nothing's going to happen to them. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, go ahead and riot because it's a purpose. And then now this huge shift toward uh, transitioning them and transgender and having, you know, story hour with transgender and, and strip shows. And like it's it's insane. It's wild. If, if anybody can't look at that and say that is evil, that is behind these actions, then they're not paying attention. Well, what really like just like gives me pause is the people <clears throat> who just like seem otherwise normal who are like yeah that's totally cool uh you know having uh, a man with fake boobs strip for three-year-olds and uh, you know having your young child stuffing a dollar bill in that person's g-string I-, I mean it's insane like it totally does not compute and you know i just i i never i never ever i keep saying this there are so many like waypoints uh at which i was like yeah we would never be there you know i mean i, I would never see this in my lifetime um but yeah you know i mean this is another one I, I i i shudder i shudder to think what's coming next you know i mean like i feel like i can kind of see the logical progression you know i mean i i think they're moving towards uh allowing children to consent to sex uh you know making it so 10 year olds can vote uh, you know, they can't 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 own guns. <laughs> they can't buy cigarettes, but they can have right. sex with adults and they can vote for Democrats. I mean, that's what they want to happen. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I agree. You know, we're seeing it. And that's why I say I go back to it. It's like take your kids out of that school, out of out of the school, find like minded people. You know, I mean, I think they get a better education on TikTok, you know, than yeah. they would in in the school, you know. Sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well. You guys, we're going to be opening up the phones in just a few minutes. But uh, as Jody said in the beginning, um, uh, Curtis is going to be joining us. He actually jumped on the line and then jumped back off. But do you want to uh, give us uh, just an introduction to who Curtis is before he gets on the phone with us? Yeah, so Curtis Bay, um, I started working with an organization called thousandwidows.org. And uh, it's an organization that started here in Arizona with a couple of widows uh, that talked to one another, and they noticed that they had um, commonalities in in the loss of their loved one, and so um, it was the organization was born off of that. You go to the website of thousandwidows.org, and you see that there's 27 commonalities: the isolation, the the food, the the ventilator, etc. And um, and he is one of the widows that will also be speaking at the 
novel coronavirus Southwestern Intergovernmental Committee hearing. I don't know how you remembered it. I was pulling it up so I could speak it out loud. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. you know, it, it's horrible. It's horrible that they have to, that, that an organization like that needs to exist. Um, I Like a week or two ago, a, a viewer named Holly, who lost her husband in similar circumstances, uh, she had called into the show. Holly, I also got your email too. So, um, you know, I don't know, maybe if you're out there tonight and you want to call in and, uh, and, and, and let us know how you've been, then that's great too. But- you know, it's just it's just tragic that uh, that anybody would be forced to go through a situation like that, because at the end of the day, I mean, you know, one of the, the biggest betrayals of this entire situation is that we were we're supposed to trust not only our institutions, but more specifically doctors and medical pro- professionals. You know, I mean, it's like do no harm. It's right there. You know, that's what they're supposed to be working with. And uh, and instead, you know, I mean, many people consigned their loved ones to death, like without realizing it, you know, I mean, and like once it was happening, uh, the uh, the system that was set up uh, was such that it, it made it nearly impossible for those people on the outside to extricate the people they loved from those situations. And, and they, they stood by helpless. It, it's horrible. Yeah, absolutely. And his story is is one of those one of those stories. So I appreciate you having him on because I think it will lots of people, uh, unfortunately, will relate. And and that's, again, where we need to get the conversation going and, um, you know, not tell people that they're crazy because, you know, this happened and um, and, you know, justice needs to be served, although I don't see how. You know, it will really help them essentially because their loved one's gone. You know, right? Um, well, but- there's the the catharsis. Uh, you know, being able to speak about it, knowing that you're not alone. Because I, I mean, I can imagine myself in a situation like that. It would be one of the most profoundly lonely experiences. You know, I mean, the person that you love, your mate, is no longer there, and under those particular circumstances, you know, just the knowledge that there's others out there that you can turn to and and have uh you know a conversation uh, about you know what you experienced I, I would think that that would help people um i also want to say you guys i got my mail today and i got a couple of books from my friend Marinda, Marinda, I don't know if you're out there in the audience, but A Nefarious Plot and A Nefarious Carol, which I believe is the sequel to A Nefarious Plot. This, this, There's a movie out now called Nefarious, and I believe that this is what it's based on. Have you seen it? I did. I just um, took uh, Benjamin, my 13-year-old, okay. and one of his friends to go see it the other day, and... And I, I thought it was well done. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an, a great conversation about it. And, you know, essentially, I, you know, I'm not going to ruin the plot because a Thank lot you. of people, no lot spoilers. Of people, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people wouldn't tell me. They mm-hmm. just, I just said, is it appropriate for me to take my son? you know, who's a whistleblower son of a whistleblower. So he's seen a lot, a lot of stuff that he probably shouldn't have yet. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> they, they said yes. And, uh, and I had a good conversation with them and his friend afterward, um, because it essentially just talks about the good and evil and, um, and how, how it manifests and, and how it happens. And it, it was good. Very thought provoking, and and I see that it's doing really well in the movie theaters. I'm excited to see it. You know, I have, have to be honest; I haven't been to the theater in 
Gosh, I mean, since before this whole craziness started. So, I mean, it's been three years or more. Uh, and probably, I guess, it might, it might have even been longer than that, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, I kind of just like turned off from like Hollywood, uh, you know, even before I really started doing this stuff, I wasn't going out to the theater. So now that I live in Florida, I, I've never even like thought about where a movie theater might be around me. But um, I, I this is definitely something that I want to see because, I, you know, uh, uh, I, I'm involved with another channel called uh, Badlands. We do a series of programs. Uh, it's like a network, basically. But uh, the woman who sets up the advertising, Kitty, uh, she was telling me about it. And she said that it's just incredible. And I know that Marinda is a big fan of the book, too. So my mother, while she's visiting, is reading the book. So I told her, you know, she's only going to be here for a couple of days. So I said, you go ahead and read it while you're here. And uh, and then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out after you leave. But all right. Uh, let me go through a couple of the thank yous that we have over here on uh, on, on the foxhole. Uh, Esther over on Rumble said, son of a whistleblower, better than son of a, you know, you can fill in the blank. <laughs> uh, Porpoiseful. Thank you very much, Porpoiseful, for, for dropping a can. Uh, says, good evening and happy Friday. Uh, Dpatriot1776 says, another foxhole friend was lost today. Rest in peace, Tombstone. Oh, my gosh. Uh, what happened? What happened, Dpatriot? Uh, that's awful. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, Cutie Pie 9 says, Happy Mother's Day weekend to all the mums out there. Uh, Khaleesi 2020 says, uh, Love you, RP, the OG. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Michelle Ann says, uh, Zach, excellent show, guest, and topic. As always, thank you. Uh, and then Timberjet says, Old school fan from all the way back to Muffingate and before. Keep on keeping on, brother. I remember you, Timberjet. I remember that name. Do you know about M- Muffingate, Jody? Did we talk about that? No. <laughs> All right. So so I've got a couple of dogs and um, uh, I have a standing desk. And so oftentimes while I'm on the air, well, I guess before we moved to Florida, because now Lisa's here all the time. So she's always with them. But back in Michigan, I would be standing at my desk doing the show and the dogs would be in their beds underneath my desk as I'm standing there. And uh, this one night I'm in the middle of an interview and I had just asked uh, my guest a question and at that moment, just before he answered, all of a sudden, the dogs start fighting over, I don't know, something, a treat or, or like a toy or something. And it, it's a chihuahua and, uh, and a Beagle Jack Russell mix, Muffin and Chi-Chi. And, uh, and so, you know, they're just like, uh, like, uh, like a Wiley Coyote style, like, you know, blur of fur and teeth. And, and I was trying to get them apart and I couldn't. And I'm just yelling at them because I'm like, last, the last time it happened, Muffin bit me. And I'm like, oh, don't do this again. I don't want to have to put you down. Uh, anyways, and so, so I separated them. <laughs> I grabbed Muffin and I left. And uh, and then my guest, as soon as it was over, he just like went like a pro right into the to answering the question. And from then on, it was always known as Muffin Gate. So <laughs> occasionally we get to play it. And there, there's a there's a meme of it that people will post. It's pretty funny. So oh, that is funny. <laughs> it is. Yeah. All right. All right, you guys. Uh, we've got Curtis on the line. I'm going to bring him in first, but I'm going to drop the Zoom information into the chat. So if you uh, want to join the conversation, you have a question for Jody or you want to tell a story, then you can go ahead and uh, jump in there and then we'll take you in the order that you've arrived. Let me just drop these bits into here and there you go. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and bring Curtis in. All right. 
do me a favor. If you're if you're watching on Rumble, please hit that like button. If you're over there on the Foxhole, hit uh, oh, show the video. It's on, oh, it's on your Instagram. I've got Muffin Gate somewhere on the on the uh, computer here. I just got to find it. Um, Curtis, are you there? Can you hear me? I'm here, man. How are you, Zach? I'm good. Welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Hi, Jody. How are you? I'm good. So, Curtis, you know, obviously, uh, Jody told us a, a little bit about your history. Uh, you want to introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, Curtis Bay, Phoenix, Arizona, um, serial entrepreneur. Been here since about 92. Um, raised my family. Uh, both went to local high schools and on to college for uh, one for a basketball career, one for wrestling. Um, met my wife in 85, got married or met my wife in 82, got married in 85. Um, we would be celebrating our 38th wedding anniversary this month um, if uh, she wasn't taken from me in 2022. Uh, my my heart goes out to you, brother. I, I'm I'm so sad every time I hear something like this. So what what exactly happened? What what was the situation? How did it play out? Yeah, Tammy was a healthy, um, active 59 year old, uh, athletic, sexy, beautiful woman, um, business owner really smart, had a lot of fun, was uh, extremely active in her church and her community. Um, We were both um, uh, very active, actually, and stayed busy all the time. Neither one of us were vaccinated at the time. It wasn't a political decision or anything like that. It's just we both had COVID Mm -hmm. uh, prior to, um, actually, we had early 2020, maybe even late 2019. It might have been late December, early January. But uh, we we called it the sleeping disease when we got it because at the time there was no talk about it. We didn't know what it was. We were down for twenty or thirty days, and then yeah, later in June, later in June that year, she got uh, her mom got sick in Vancouver, Washington. Um, I took her to the hospital, and they booted me out of the room. Um, she died seven days later, and so we were pretty familiar with what was going on. Uh, late Christmas, twenty twenty one, we we both came down with uh, something. Uh, we weren't sure what it was. Um, we knew that the Omicron thing was floating around the valley pretty heavily, and uh, we didn't know what it was, but we were both sick, both of us. Um, that went on. That was Christmas Eve, uh, and probably through Christmas, we weren't feeling very well. About New Year's, we both got back up and started going back to work, doing our thing. Um, she was busy out, you know, doing the hunt, trying to find furniture and gadgets and vintage clothing and things for her business. And um uh, her company was called Eclectic Flamingo, hence the flamingos all over me. Right on. Uh, um, but anyway, thing. yeah, she's uh, she's busy. She's back at it. We're both doing well, feel good. Uh, a couple of days go by, and all of a sudden she hits a wall, um, says, I don't feel good again, don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm uh, playing golf. Um, don't really understand how come she's sick again, but maybe just a relapse from whatever we had. Um, neither one of us thought much of it. We'd been together for almost 40 years and pretty much walked each other through every kind of sickness you could possibly ever have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, on the 3rd of January, um, I was starting to get a little bit concerned, talked to my children, said, you know, if mom doesn't get any better tomorrow, we didn't have, by the way, we didn't have any primary health care at the time. Uh, we had just relocated back to Arizona. We'd left for a couple of years um, and went up to Oregon and Washington for a few years up there. So uh, we'd just gotten back in 2021, and it was not a priority. Finding uh, uh, prim- primary health care wasn't first thing on our list. It was chasing each other and chasing our grandkids and having a blast. So 
Uh, we weren't looking for doctors. We'd only been here for a few months uh, when this happened. So um, I told my kids, I'm just going to take her down to urgent care if there's something and get her some antibiotics. Feels like pneumonia or bronchitis or something. I don't know what's going on. <clears throat> Everyone agrees. Let's do that. Um, I take her ahead to the uh, uh, urgent care on the 5th of January, about 730 in the morning. The one close to our house down here, they weren't open at the time. We had stopped and got some coffee before we went there. And so we were sitting in the parking lot kind of making chit-chat, joking with each other. Um, and then I said, uh, I'm out of coffee. She said, me too. We headed out to go and get coffee. And I took a wrong turn um, and went down a street that had a big emergency room sign on it, on it out front. And um, she turned to me and said, are you taking me to the hospital, to the emergency room? And I said, no, no, wasn't going to do that. And she said to me, I think that's probably where I'm going to end up. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because I couldn't figure out how she could have deteriorated in such a short period of time when we were just laughing and joking, honestly, 10 minutes ago. And then all of a sudden she felt the, uh, you know, having to tell me that maybe I should go here. So we went there. Um, we got there on the 5th that morning. It was probably around 8 o'clock or 8.30, somewhere in there. They uh, took her to the, into the lobby and their security meets you there. It was such a big fiasco. What a joke of an you know emergency room thing. You know, and I don't blame those guys. They're getting dumped on and told what to do. But yeah, um, it was it was horrible um, bedside manner. And uh, there was no, you know, no one cared at all. It, it was uh, just move us through the system. So threw a couple masks on, said, go sit here. Somebody came over, took her oxygen. She was like 79. So she, she was not, something was wrong. Um, and they gave her a little small thing hooked to a wheelchair. And it was about four liters of oxygen at the time. And her and nasal, Jody knows what those things are called. I don't know what it was called, but uh, we sat there for oh, about 40 minutes or so. They came out and got her a room, went and sat in the room for about another 40 minutes or 50 minutes. The emergency room nurse was super kind, very helpful, uh, loads of laughter, doing everything she could to, um, you know, keep everyone at peace and having fun. And um, after getting Tammy, uh, all of her vitals taken care of, uh, chest x-rays and things like that, she came back and she goes, yep, you got pneumonia. Um, we're going to treat you for pneumonia. We're going to get you a room uh, and get you some pneumonia. And oh, by the way, your COVID test came back negative. So we were like, yeah, probably. I mean, okay. Didn't matter to us. She, she wasn't feeling well. We, she needed some, some attention, some antibiotics and oxygen, at least for a day or two. Mm -hmm. So uh, we looked at each other and kind of chuckled and, and they came and got us and took us up to this floor. And when we opened the floor, uh, the elevator doors, Tim was laying down, but I was obviously upright and looked down the hallway and it looked like a scene from a pandemic movie. Um, it was, it was kind of awkward, frightening, weird. Everything just, it seemed really off. Um, lots of people outside on laptops wearing not hazmat gear, but it was not your normal, you know, scrubs. And it just looked really, um, frightening, frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, and for, for a, um, for a pneumonia uh, treatment, it was kind of felt weird that we were going down this down this hallway. So anyway, we got to the room, uh, big giant double doors. It was a large room. Uh, they opened up the double doors, and we kind of joked that as we were coming up to it, that wow, she got the penthouse right on. There must not be anybody here. All that kind of stuff. Uh, as soon as they opened the door, we were met with seven uh, coats. Wow. Um, RN, respiratory therapist, um, technician hospitalist who I refer to as Satan from now on 
Um, the uh, charge nurse. Um, there were a couple other people that, that uh, technician. I probably said technician. There were a couple other, but there was like seven people, six total for sure. Oh, the uh, pulmonologist and the infectious disease person were there too as well to greet us. And it was really awkward immediately. The emergency room girl, as she was pushing us into the room, um, the charge nurse came out um, and uh, or she was the floor charge nurse. She wasn't the charge nurse over all the other nurses, but she came out and was uh, kind of physically removing the emergency room girl from the gurney. And I, our eyes met and it was awkward as hell. We both looked at each other and just felt really weird. Why are you kind of being so aggressive with this girl? And she, I heard her, I overheard her say, no, she's here for pneumonia. And the girl said, we've got this and pushed her away and closed the door behind us. So it was a little bit weird for us to get into this room. Tammy, of course, was just thankful that she had some relief. Um, she was you know, breathing a little bit better. She felt great, she said. Um, and she knew she was going to get some good antibiotics and, and some fluids. And, and she felt like we were going to be able to go home you know, rather quickly. So everything seemed to be moving in the right direction. By then, it's 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the daytime now. Um, we go through um, uh, getting, they, they meet us, this hospitalist guy, Satan comes over to the laptop and starts beating on the laptop and calling out plays. And I, re, I say it just like that because that's exactly what he did. He was like M4, 13, 3, S2, 4, 4, whatever those codes were, he was telling people exactly what to do. And they knew how to respond. So what antibiotic to get her, what IV, needle size, all this kind of stuff, they were doing all that. And then he um, turned to me and said, do you want her to get remdesivir? And I said, well, no, no, we no. Why are, why are you talking about remdesivir? She doesn't have COVID. And he said, well, she's got COVID. And I said, well, that's weird. Uh, four floors down, she didn't have COVID. How does she have COVID up here? And he said, I've seen it a thousand times. She's got COVID. That's what it is. And uh, wow. that's how we have to treat her. I said, we're not doing that. We're not treating her with COVID. She doesn't have COVID. She's got pneumonia. You diagnosed her with pneumonia. You just did a chest x-ray. She has pneumonia. Um, yeah, but it's COVID. That's what it is. And that's how we're going to treat her. Nope, we're not doing that. Convinced them to back off a little bit and say that they would not treat her for COVID at that moment and that they would get her hooked up to an antibiotic um, and, and call for the pulmonologist guy to come back in. So he came back in. He said, hey, I've treated 4,000 patients just like her. She's going to be fine. Um, she'll be out of here in a day or two at the most, but uh, let's get her some antibiotics, blah, blah, blah. If infectious disease lady came over. She said exactly the same thing. Yep, I agree with him. And they left. So it was just Satan and his minions left. Um, and when they walked out the door, um, the technician who was uh, left to take care of Tammy at the time, and Jody's probably already told you all these kinds of things about the different nurses and the contract nurses and the the challenges that a lot of those guys faced when, you know, they came on board to help yeah. try and take care of somebody. So I won't dig into that so much, but Tammy had 21 different nurses in 15 days. Wow. And that might not be so uncommon when you think about the rotating shifts, but to have that many different nurses, it's kind of weird. Um, and uh, uh, 10 of them were from uh, outside the country, contract nurses from Israel or um Belgium or Germany. It didn't matter where they were come from. It's not an indictment on anybody. It's just they were contract nurses from outside our country serving uh, as people that were supposed to be taking care of them. And that meant there was no continuity of care. That meant there was really no care, no concern for Tammy or her treatment. They just had to um, check the box, whatever the doctor on call that morning came in and said, do this. That's what they had to do. 
So there was no real uh, concern for whether or not she was responding well to the treatment uh, or, or even discussing what the treatment might be. That uh, about a couple hours after we'd been there on the first day, uh, the young girl came back in to check on us, asked Tammy if she wanted to be vaccinated. She said no for the third time. Um, brought up the remdesivir one more time. We said, look, you guys, she doesn't have COVID. Check your records. It's not in the system. Well, it'll be in the system. I'm sure, you know, it can't be that hard to, to find out she has, she's negative. Test her again, I said. I said, test her again. They said, yeah, we will if we have to, but, uh, it, you know, we'll get to it in a minute. And then the hospitalist guy came in one last time. It was about six hours I'd been there now. And he said, uh, if she has to go on high flow and she needs to get remdesivir and you're not here, are you going to uh, go ahead and authorize that? And I looked right at my wife and Tammy and I both said, no, no, she's got pneumonia. We're just going to get treated and we're going to go home. That's what we're going to do. And I said, oh, but OK, I'll play along with you. If you want to if you're going to say she has COVID and I'll go along with you, how about you give her monoclonal antibodies right now? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I can't do it. How come she doesn't qualify? Why doesn't she qualify? It was the day, the 5th, on the 3rd, federal government um, uh, rationed the monoclonal antibody distribution across the states. Yeah. So then once state, once it hit the state, the state had to, you didn't have to uh, fill out necessarily a form because there were people that were doing it, but the hospital had a, po- a policy or a protocol that they were going to follow, and that required filling out a particular form. So they said that she didn't meet their requirements for them to be able to distribute monoclonals to her. And I said, well, then that's fine. We're not doing that. How about ivermectin? No, that's a quack drug. We don't do that at this hospital. So neither one of those things can we help her with. It's remdesivir um, and high flow if something bad happens. I said, no, no, we're, she doesn't have COVID anyway. So never mind. No, end of conversation. They left. The young girl came back in one more time for the vaccine. No, thank you. We're good. This is all day one. Um, and um, I'm now it's about 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the afternoon, and Timmy's tired. She's exhausted from all the poking and prodding and the, all that stuff. And um, she asked if she could be turned to face the window in, in her room. There you know, it was a lot of light in Arizona. So she said, can I get a little bit more light? And um, so I didn't want to move the bed. I asked the young girl to do it. And when she did, she knocked the oxygen thing a little bit cockeyed and you know, some some hospitals have really sophisticated machinery. Some are using stuff from World War II still. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one was not up to par. And it started whistling and the oxygen ramped up to all of a sudden 13 liters from five or seven. Might have been seven at the highest. But whatever it was, it, was, it wasn't significant. Uh, but it was significant all of a sudden because it started whistling and it was forcing a lot more air. And she was like, hey, I don't need this. Can you fix this? The girl couldn't fix it. Uh, and so she went and got another nurse to come in. When that other nurse came in, Zach, she was uh, extremely aggressive. Um, who are you? Why are you here? Um, how long have you been here? Um, you know, I answered it all, you know, very kindly, humbly and professionally. And I'm her husband. I've been here all day. And, you know, I'm going to stay until she goes to sleep and then I'll go home. And they said, and she said, no, you have to leave. That was the first time anyone had told me I had to leave. I'd been there wow. for six hours with everybody. But I said, yeah, I'm not leaving, not yet. I don't know what they're going to do. And until I find out what they're, how they're going to treat her, I'm going to stay until someone comes back in and tells me how they're going to treat her. She said, no, you have to leave. Um, I said, well, I don't want to get into this. So no, but I'm not leaving. So um, she went, she left about uh, maybe four minutes, three minutes later, uh, three security guards came through the door um, and came up. Uh, and as soon as they came in, I stood up. So they physically came right around me, all three of them, and kind of encircled me, two on each side and one in my in my face. 
And um, I backed up to the wall and, and stood there for a second and just said, uh, we're not doing this. Um, um, you know, we're just not going to do this in here. And, and they continued to try to tell me to put my phone down. They got really aggressive. They were just being ignorant. Um, and I'm not a tiny dude. And I'm not, a, you know, I'm not saying I'm some tough guy that was going to beat him up or anything like that. But I'm just saying it wasn't going to go well for anybody. Mm-hmm. And I, I told them that. Um, after um, after that confrontation, the charge nurse came back down, and this was the nurse in charge of everybody. And I just said, "Look, I'm I'll leave. I don't have a problem leaving. I don't need to watch my wife sleep, but I need to know how you guys are going to treat her. Uh, right now, I'm pretty uncomfortable. You said she has COVID. She doesn't have COVID downstairs, and it's been almost seven hours, and you still don't have a COVID positive test. Mm-hmm. You have an X-ray that says she has pneumonia, but you guys are just giving her right now antibiotics and and uh, fluid, which we're fine with." But the oxygen is up to 13 liters. And when the pulmonologist left, it was only at five or seven. I go, I can't remember. You guys can look at the chart, I'm sure, and figure it out. But, you know, this is a, it's getting really weird. You got security guys trying to get me out of here. My wife feels very uncomfortable. I feel really uncomfortable. She said, look, uh, let me promise you this. We won't do anything tonight until tomorrow. We won't make any decisions until tomorrow uh, about how we're going to treat her. Uh, we'll treat her with just the fluids that she's getting right now, the antibiotics that she's getting right now and the oxygen she's getting right now. I said, are you okay with that babe? She said, yep. So I turned around on the whiteboard and you may be familiar with them, Zach. I know Jody is, but those big boards, that says who the nurse is, who's the respiratory therapist, who's taking care of them and all that. Yep. And, um, I assumed that they would pay attention to them. I, the next morning it was erased, but the, I put in there my name, my phone number, my email, um, and I said, no remdesivir, no high flow, and no sedation um, without my approval. And I mm-hmm. turned to Tam and I go, Tam, are you okay with that? The security guards were there. By then the cops had come because they, I, because I had threat, I had said I wasn't going to leave. I was now combative. That's what I was. I was labeled combative. Cops had come. I was, the, the cops were cool. They stood back and just let me sort it out with the nurse. Once we got that done and my wife was okay, I said, okay, babe, I'll see you in the morning. I didn't know I was trespassed. I didn't know I couldn't come see her in the morning. And oh my I, they, God. they don't give you a note that says that, oh, by the way, your hours are from nine to five or from two to three or from 10 to two. They don't do that. So it's always a confrontation with whoever you're talking to, no matter who you, who you are, that you're coming to see a loved one. This is part of the, the challenge that we face in this entire protocol is the, you know, the patient's and the advocacy rights of the patients. Mm-hmm. So I came back the next day and I thought I could just come in at nine o'clock or something like that and catch her. And uh, I showed up at nine. They said, no, you're, you know, don't, you know, the rules. No, sorry. And oh, by the way, you're trespassed. You have to get approval from the hospital to remove the trespass. So I had to go through this whole thing for about three hours. Finally at two o'clock, I was escorted up to her room with the security guard. Um, and I got to see her. Um, we had text most of the night. Um, and uh, now by the time I'd gotten there, uh, she was um, still on 13 liters of oxygen, uh, feeling, she said she was feeling good, but um, she was uncomfortable. She didn't like being there, but she was uncomfortable. But my wife was an incredibly trusting soul. She thought she found the good in everybody and everything. She just, it was, it was, um, it was one of the joys of having someone like that in your life. She just always found something good to be. So she always was thinking something positive with these people that maybe they're just learning or they're, they're having a bad day. They're going to get better. So she, she said, look, um, I'll be fine tonight. Let's go one more day. And then, you know, I should be feeling fine enough to come home. Um, but, you know, all of her vitals and things like that, that they look at for determining, you know, how, how they're doing in that she was doing, she was progressing fine. Mm-hmm. She was getting better. Her, her, all of her numbers look good. Um, 
on day three, uh, and on day two, I called my family, my boys, and I said, I have two adult boys, and I said, look, guys, I'm uncomfortable with this. Let's just get her out of this hospital and go to a different place. Mm-hmm. So my son arranged for a transfer from a, a local doctor in town who would take her under his care, and he had a whole uh, strategy of what he was going to do to treat her for pneumonia and how she could go home and do all that stuff. So he was ready to take her, and he submitted the transfer request to the hospital on day three. So that morning, day three now, which is the 8th of January, I get there um, and I ask them if they had gotten the transfer request and they acknowledge they received it. I said, uh, great. When? How long will it take for you guys to get that done? Well, it's got to go through corporate. It's got to go through admin, whatever. Uh, but yeah, we got it. We're going to get it taken care of. And, you know, they made comments like, how are you so lucky to get that doctor? He's so, you know, he's so well-known and all this stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, God, who cares? This, tell me you're going to transfer my wife. This is so weird. Um, so I can only be there. You can only be there for one hour, Zach. I don't know what it is across every other state, but in Arizona, you only get one hour with your loved one during that period. Now, th- that is by itself just the weirdest thing ever that I can't spend the time with her when I've been with her for every day for however long during this whole process. Right. And so uh, completely frustrated and painful. Um, there's nothing more painful than having some, you know, we're 38 years together. We chased each other. Um, this wasn't a relationship where we passed each other in the hallway and couldn't remember each other's names. We were intimately connected in a way that, you know, being without each other just wrecked your soul. So um, having her where I couldn't help her or hold her hand or make her feel better or protect her or anything like that was keeping me up all night long every night. Of course. Day three, day three I said, uh, after the acknowledgement of the, the transfer request, I felt like, wow, we're going to get her out of there. It's going to be great. I can get her home, take care of her. And so that evening I called my boys. Uh, they were, they were hounding me like, when's mom getting out? When's mom getting out? And uh, I said, I don't know, man, they're not responding to the transfer. They're not calling me back. Um, uh, but that morning, Two o'clock or so in the morning, which uh, everything bad that happens happens after midnight, by the way. Yes. Um, at two o'clock in the morning, that's probably a saying for life. But um, the, in this case, it was absolutely true. It was two o'clock in the morning. I got a, a, a text from Tammy that said, um, she said, don't be mad at me. Um, or don't be mad at them. They just put me on high flow oxygen. Mm. And I was wrecked. I couldn't figure out how we had gone from five liters to high flow, which is over, which is 35 or above because the hospital wall mount units don't produce more than 15 liters. At least there they didn't. Uh So that means they jumped from, even if they had her at 13, they went all the way to 35 liters in, in a matter of hours after getting the transfer request. So I couldn't get mad. I couldn't do what I have to support her and be positive and all loving and everything. So that morning, I think I'm, I figure I'm just going to go there in the morning. I didn't bother my boys. So I'll just go there in the morning. I'll sort it out, figure out what's going on. Between nine and 10, you could call and get the vitals and the updates. So I did that. I called and said, how is she? They said, oh, she had a great night. And this is another new nurse. It's only been, it's on day four. And she's already had, I don't even know how many nurses. This nurse didn't even know her name. Um, and, but he found her and said, uh, yeah, she, she did fine last night, according to the, the records. Um, she's doing fine right now. Um, I said, okay, great. I'll see her in, in the next couple hours. And I was driving to my son's house to commiserate and pray basically, how come we hadn't gotten this transfer request and that there must be something we need to know. And then I was going to tell him that she's on high flow. Um, and I got a call from the hospital. 
And they said, can you come to the hospital? And I said, sure. And I'm thinking, well, we're done. We're going to transfer it right on. I headed back 100 miles an hour, got to the hospital, walked into the floor, the COVID floor where she was at. The place was vacant. Um, and so I had to stand there and wait for somebody. Finally, they found me. And I said, hey, I'm Curtis Bay. I'm here to see my wife. Uh, they just called me and told me to come back. I'm not sure why. They said, uh, well, hold on. I don't know why either. Um, the, the nurse that I had talked to, his name was Scott. We don't know who he was or where he came from, but he wasn't, he wasn't a permanent uh, nurse. Uh, he said, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll go check on her right now. I, I just talked to you, he said. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I didn't know your name, whatever, but um, good. I go, uh, you'll check on her. He says, yep. Goes back, comes back from her room. And she goes, he's not, she's not there. I'm like, what the F is, what is going on in this hospital? How do you not know my wife has gone out of the room? You were just in treating her this morning or at least getting her, her vitals. And he comes back and he looks at the record and he goes, oh, well, she's down in ICU. I'm like, oh, my God, what is going on? How in this is this happening? I get down to ICU, Zach, and um, I know Jody has seen this countless times, more than she probably wants to recount. But the uh, that is a... That is a scene, seriously, that no one wants to have to endure. My wife was laying on a bed, surrounded by five uh, wonderful human beings, I'm sure, in in uh, scrubs, and one dude in white um, who was in his mid-40s, um, standing over her, and she was weeping. And she was completely loosened, 100%. She only had nasal oxygen. She didn't have a face mask. She wasn't wearing anything like that. And I came into the room and um, I said, what's going on? And he said, uh, we have to intubate her. And I, Tammy said, um, babe, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. And I said, I don't know what to do. Why are we, what are we doing here? She doesn't have COVID. And he said, this has nothing to do with COVID. This is the best thing we can do to help her lungs. And I said, are you serious? This is the only thing you can do to help her? And he said, yep, it's all we can do. This is the best way to free, like, treat her right now so that she doesn't get any worse. We have to do it. I go, this just doesn't make sense. She was just on five liters less than 24 hours ago. And now you guys need to stick something down her. I go, I don't understand it. Can I talk to you privately? And he goes, no, we have to do this now. Yeah. I said, are you right now? Really? I go, you can't give us 10 minutes together. And he goes, I'll get, I can give you 10 minutes. They literally stood outside the window and peered in like we were dogs in a shelter waiting for us to figure out what we were going to do. I got my boys on the phone. They both had to talk to their mom by cell phone during that time and say whatever they were going to say because they didn't know how she was going to, what was going to happen. They ventilated her that day. That was day four. The day before they had a transfer request and they did not transfer her. They never gave us an explanation for why they didn't transfer her. They still to this day have it. She was in the ICU, ventilated for four days. She came out on the 12th or 13th of uh, January. Uh, was in, she was in CCU for a couple of days. But um, during that period, she was only on seven liters of oxygen. And they kept promising that all she has to do is be able to walk the hall on her own and she'll be able to go home. And no matter how I pressed, uh, I was still combative. So I still had to have permission to be able to be in the hospital with her at the time. So I had to be very careful about, you know, how I talked to the people or how much pressure I put on them, which was killing me uh, for all the reasons you can imagine. Um, after a couple of days of this 
CCU treatment, we, my boys, we had, we got, we began trading visitation so that they could see her because it was the first time they had seen her since all this happened. And so they would spend a little bit more time with her than me. And then again, uh, on about the 13th day, uh, her being there where we felt this was going to be the day she was coming home. She said, she called me at two o'clock in the morning. Uh, I can promise you that, Mr. Paul, you don't want to get. Um, and she said, can you come and get me? And my heart dropped because I knew I could not come and get her. They would not let me take her out. But I said, babe, I'll be on my way. And in the meantime, I could hear the some people arguing in her room on the phone. And I could hear the oxygen at full blast. And I'm thinking to my head, how did this happen? How is she on such massive oxygen again? When just that morning she was on seven liters, all she had to do was walk the hall. We were going home. And these people are arguing. <laughs> so I asked her to put me on speaker. And I convinced the nurse who was uh, taking care of her. Her name was Holly. She's a wonderful human. She, uh, I said, what's going on? And she said, my name's Holly. I'm taking care of your wife. She seems to be having a little bit of a panic attack, I think. Um, does, is that something that happens? I said, yeah, she's, she's had that all of her life, but it's not a big deal. I can talk her off the ledge. I've you know, been doing this for 40 years. And she said, okay, well, can you please do that? I've got the respiratory therapist in here, and our policy is to intubate her again if she hits certain markers on the certain flags. And I said, well, I don't know what those are, but we're not doing that again. Um, and she said, well, I'm doing my best to keep that from happening. I said, well, can you guys do it outside? So they left the room and I talked to Tammy for an hour and got her heart rate down. Her heart rate was at 168 at the time. Um, uh, her, her, uh, her breathing was not out of control, but because of the stress and everything she was going through, she was causing a lot. And their only functions, they're limited to what they can do. So they only have like A, B, or C. It doesn't matter what's happening. The girl, the, she could have had her arms falling off. She could have been, you know, all of a sudden, any, giving birth to an alien. They only had three options, and one of them was ventilation or intubation. So they were arguing about how to get, and Holly was not going to do that again. And the, uh, and the respiratory therapist was saying, that's policy, it's hospital procedure, we have to do it, and I'm going to turn you in for not doing it. That was the argument. Holly came back in and realized and recognized that Tam and the, and the respiratory therapist both came in and saw that Tammy was better in better shape. Her heart rate was back down. Her breathing was better. And they, she said, hey, look, uh, her husband's got him, got her, you know, in better condition, we're not doing this. And the girl left and agreed. I said, Holly, how soon can I get in? And she goes, I can't get you in, you know, any before two o'clock, like usual. And I said, you please, you have to get me in there. She's coming apart. She wants to go home. She's not, she doesn't feel like she needs to be there anymore. She said, I can get, I'll do what I can to get me in, but be here at 7 a.m. I'll put in a request to figure something out. So I got there at 7 a.m. Um, she let me in. The pulmonologist came in, the hospitalist guy came in again, uh, and Holly, and they all examined her. And um, I turned to the hospitalist and I said, how could this have happened? I mean, she was just doing so good and ready to go home. And everything in this, it, since it started has been just a fiasco. Um, and he goes, well, we did stop the steroid treatment um, last night. And I was like, what steroid treatment? What are you talking about? 
no one tells you anything in these because when you come to visit, you only get your one hour. It's in the middle of the day when no doctors are present and there's nobody that can come and tell you anything. The travel nurses or the, even the permanent nurses can only tell you what's on the chart. They're mm-hmm. actually not treating your loved one. They're just processing them. Yeah. So they're filling out the form that the doctor said, do this, do this, do this. And they're filling out the form. And that's what they're doing. So when you ask how they're responding to whatever, they can't tell you. You know, years ago, when when j- j- girls like Jody and, uh, you know, professional nurses were running programs like this, they would have never let that go. They would have taken care of the patient. They would have tested different things. They would have figured them out. You know, is this, are they responding? Is this having an impact? They would have done a lot of different things, but they weren't, they're not doing that in this scenario. The doctor says, we're going to put her back up on the COVID floor. And I said, why? Why are you going to put her back up on the COVID floor? And he came up with some janky excuse about the fact that they had better oxygen. And I'm going, she's got CCU. She's in CCU. How much better is it going to be on that floor? He doesn't, I don't, and I have to be careful again. So I don't argue with the guy, but he says, we're just going to put her up there. She'll be able to uh, get better treatment up there. So I turned to Holly and I said, Holly, can you help me get to the floor with her, please? Can you know? Can you talk to the nurses where she's going? And she said, "I'll talk to them. I'll get you a pass, basically, for a little while. But you're probably going to have to leave." I said, "That's fine. Just so I can go with her right now. She's a wreck." So we went up to that floor. Um, uh, this was uh, on the, I think it was on the 13th day, if I remember right, on day 14. So that night we get she she gets um, um she got a um. She got a pain shot. I can't remember what it was. It wasn't uh, your normal pain shots. It wasn't like fentanyl or anything like that. It was like Toradol or something. Toradol. But okay, was, yeah, that's like a non-narcotic pain reliever or something. Yeah, she was not a believer in the narcotic scene, and she didn't like any of that stuff. So, yeah. But she had been in there and in such weird positions and hadn't been able to get any kind of movement or, or she was complaining about her hip and pelvis area yeah. being really sore and stiff. So. They said, uh, I asked them actually if they could just give her some relief, some Tylenol or something like that. And they said, oh, we'll give her a small shot of uh, Toradol and that'll help. And Tammy said, okay, but not, it's not, you know, narcotics. No, 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 it'll be fine. Okay. So that night she had that and she rested a little bit easy that night. I watched her all night long. I, when the new nurses would come in, I would either greet them uh, on when they first came in, because there was two nurses during that 16 hour window where I was there. Uh, on that day, I would either greet them and do my best to be, you know, helpful and kind and out of the way. I laid on the couch or I laid on the floor or I stood in the corner out of their way 100% just so that there was never anybody that could say anything about it. And for the first night, I got a pass. Um, the next morning, uh, when we woke up that day, um, she was like the, my wife, brand new, fresh as a daisy. She looked at me and she said, I'm going home today, Curtis. And I said, oh, my God, baby, I can't believe how good you look. And she goes, yeah, I feel fine. I feel great. She goes, I can't believe I lost hope. She goes, I had given up. I This is the first day right now where I feel like we can beat this. And I said, we're, we're, yeah, whatever you got, we're going to get out of here. And uh, the pulmonologist came in. It was 7 in the morning. That was their normal time. And Satan came with him. And when they walked in the room, um, he said, uh, he walked over to Jim and he goes, how, he goes, this doesn't, this doesn't add up with our data. How come you're doing so well? Look so good. Your data should, de- doesn't reflect that. She goes, I don't know. I'm going home today. She ate two full meals for the first time in a dozen days. Um, we sat there and played cards, Sudoku, joked around a little bit, talked about the family. We, we FaceTime with the grandkids. Um, 
and we talked about getting out of there and how hard this had been, uh, but that she had, you know, she had made it. Um, the the safe hospitalist guy says, uh, when was the last time your bowels were cleaned out? I, of course, we don't know, uh, but they look at the chart and they say it's been almost six days. So he says, turns to the nurse that's there and says, make sure that gets taken care of uh, today. And I said, what about the steroids? You know, she was doing really, uh, or she didn't, she, the, the timing is weird. You guys quit that. And she all of a sudden has a panic attack. Is that something we have to be concerned about? And he goes, well, you know, we could get her started on them again. I go, what, is it going to help her or hurt her? I mean, if it's going to help her, let's do it, please. And he says, yeah, okay. I think we'll, we'll get that going too. So I said, right now, and he, he told me again, we got to go through this process. Pharmaceutical has to agree or pharmacy has to agree. The, the policy of the administration have to agree because the specific 10 day protocol, they can't break cycle. Oh my goodness. Far be it from treating somebody for actually needing anything. So he says they're going to get it done. They leave the room. Um, the next nursing come, the next nursing rotation happens, and I I hide in the bathroom at that time because it was still early in the day, and I wasn't sure how those people were going to respond. And they didn't come in the bathroom, thank God. But um, I, when I left, uh, uh, I sat on the couch and stayed with her. And again, we joked around. Hung out all night, planning our next morning to leave. Um, that what time we were going to leave, who we were going to call, how we were going to get out of there, uh, how she was going to walk. You know, we were going to plan on practicing walking in the morning so that she could, you know, I could help her get by there. And she's still on high flow oxygen up in this room. They got her on like thirty five liters nasal, um, which the whole thing was just weird to me. Why she was on so much oxygen? Her her. Uh, rates, um, and I don't know this stuff, Jody knows this intimately, but there, she was at like, you know, high levels of oxygen. She was in the 80, 90%. She was like, I don't understand why she had to be on this, but um, I know now all of it. I'm telling you the story though. So uh, the that that uh, that night when we went to bed, we were planning on leaving in the morning. The next morning at 7 a.m. in the morning, the nurses came back in. She was a little bit slow to wake up. This was the 14th day. And she was a little slow to wake up. So I whispered in her ear. I said, hey, babe, they're here to get your blood and um, do your vitals. And she said, uh, um, she turned over to me and her eyes were about the size of 50 cent pieces. And she said, I'm having a panic attack. And I said, no worries, babe. I'm right here. And so we focused on each other. The problem that happened was there was no Holly to help us. The nursing team that was on staff at that moment were following protocols, and I could not get her heart rate to drop, and I could not help them without being in the way uh, quick enough for them to drop their procedural sort of manual. They were going to move her to ICU again um, if she didn't have a response in the next three to five minutes, and I couldn't get her calmed down in time. So they cranked up the oxygen. They cranked up the wall oxygen. So they had the mask on her, 55 liters of oxygen pumping into her. And they came in and gave her a shot of Ativan or something. I think they gave her two shots to try and calm her down. Um, and I was not I was not able to talk or be close to her at all. They made sure to tell me that I was going to be removed if I didn't stay far enough away from them to be able to do what they were going to have to do. I didn't get a choice. We didn't get a choice on anything. The hospitals came back in. He said, you know, we're going to have to take her down and intubate her again. And I said, yeah, I know. That's what you guys are going to do. Um, I did at the, you know, my heart was 
crushed. I'm watching my wife, you know, basically fall apart and uh, I can't do anything. So I'm, you know, I'm a wreck too. So probably not as clear headed as I wish I would have been then, but I don't know what else I could have done. I walked with her down the hallway, we went through, uh, down the elevator. We got out there to the ICU, ICU room and um, uh, we prayed, me and her, all the way down. Uh, we talked about things and um, I knew in my gut that this was not going to be good. And I, she did too. Um, they took her down to the ICU. They hooked her up to all the machines. They did their thing. And um, that night, at, um, about two in the morning, I got another call uh, from the chart. The nurse that was taking care of her said she was struggling. She wasn't doing very well. And um, I, they said they might have to like paralyze her or something like that. And I said, do whatever you got to do. I don't care that she's, you know, you take care of her. So that morning I came down there. It was a new nurse. He didn't know her name. He's from Nigeria. Nice fellow that didn't even know her name. He had to go to the window to read all this stuff. And he just pointed to me. I, and by the way, in ICU, you only get 15 minutes of window time. Sure. You don't get to go in the room. Um, so, which is just retarded. But um, so I had to look at the numbers and I called my boys to tell them what's going on that night. I went home again, another call at two o'clock in the morning. And they say she's got something leaking inside of her. And all I heard at the time was leaking and inside of her cavity. I don't know at the time what they were telling me, but I knew it was bad. So I called my boys and told them they met me down there at three in the morning. Um, and um, the surgeon, I, they said they were going to do surgery. So the surgeon met us there. The surgeon said, I'm sorry, I can't do surgery. Um, if I turn her over, she was laying prone. If I turn her over, uh, she'll die. I, I need to turn her over and do a scan to find out where this is, leak is coming from so that I can repair it. And she won't, she'll die if I turn her over. So say your goodbyes. Um, that was the last time um, I went in the room. That was the last time I touched my wife's skin, smelled her hair, um, prayed with her. Um, that was the last, last time I got to be with her physically at all. So she passed later that, a few hours later, my, my boys stood in the parking lot of that hospital trying to sort what this new life was going to look like without their, their mom at such a young age. So that's the story of Tammy and this hospital protocol treatment here. Um, there's, it's not an uncommon story, unfortunately. Um, there's hundreds of thousands of people that are enduring this same pain and feeling similar things as I feel today the guilt and shame and the pain associated with not being able to help your loved one or save them, the isolation, the, all of those things. It, it, it is a unique story in that, you know, she never tested positive for COVID. She was 100% healthy. She didn't have any underlying conditions. She didn't have any, she didn't take any medications, no blood pressure, no nothing, no cholesterol, nothing. Um, and um, so it's unique in that factor, but um, it's not uncommon, unfortunately, anymore. These guys have been able to, under this protocol, and the processes for how they operate have been able to sadly move people like cattle through, you know, a chute um, and uh, all for the purposes of a, a dollar. You know, she didn't have COVID and uh, yet those folks are protected by the uh, Immunity Prep and Cares Act. They could have stabbed her with a butter knife and I still couldn't go after them for it um, because it was all under the COVID protocol. So it's a challenging 
time to, you know, have to navigate this new world and the process, what this looks like. You know, there's a lot of people that are crying foul and rightly so and want justice and vengeance and revenge and those sorts of things. And I'm not suggesting I'm not one of those guys, but um, I think um, I don't think that that's going to get anyone anywhere. Um, and we're going to have to change the script. We're going to have to flip the script a little bit, uh, try and get some U.S. attorneys and attorney generals and maybe a Department of Justice if we ever get a change of uh, the political parties that can look at this in a different way. Um, I don't know if Jody mentioned it to you at all, but I, I have been pursuing this sort of as trying to elevate the conversation so that someone in one of those capacities could, would consider the RICO and racketeering violations outside of um, the COVID strategies. Uh, trying to pierce the veil of the, that immunity is going to take years. We'll never get through in, in depositions and, and discovery will take 10 years. And then nobody will win anything anyway for all the poor people that want something for their loved one. They're never going to get it. So my hope is that um, having a different conversation around this topic, we're able to elevate it to a point where, um, I mean, if you just look at Webster's Dictionary for what a cartel is, um, mm -hmm. these, guys, these guys spit what a cartel is. Um, and if you look at, you know, how they prosecute cartels or go after them, it's not something me, you or Jody can go and do, but it's certainly something a U.S. attorney can do. Um, and that avoids all the immunity claims because the way they structured it, the way they financed it, the incentive models, the interstate commerce, the control of the drugs, the censorship, the isolation. I mean, it sounds exactly like a mafia crime family setting up their distribution for whatever heroin or drug they want to sell across the country. It does. You know, they had, and, and each one of them are protected individually within the silos of their organizations. And as a result, you can't go after them, but you can if you can show that this was organized. And so I hope that um, future conversations, um, I'm testifying uh, with Jody in the, uh, um, the upcoming uh, hearing in, in Arizona on the 25th. And I hope that we're able to ask the, the right questions um, and challenge the lawmakers and, uh, in, that are going to be holding this to actually do some investigation and not just you know, pat us on the head and say, yeah, sorry, things were so tough, you guys. Sad story, but, you know, we're going to, you know, move on from here kind of thing. Because that's traditionally the way this goes. So it is. we'll it see. Is. Well, we'll Curtis, see. my heart goes out to you. And, and uh, you know, that's just a horrific thing to have to experience. I hope you know, I'm, you know, you said guilt and shame. I hope that you know that, you know, none of this is your fault. I, I mean, this was a monolithic bureaucracy that was put in place. And it's interesting that you made the metaphor to factory farming, because that's the exact same thing that I was thinking as you were relaying that story. I mean, it was like, this this like cold and, and calculating set of uh, of standards that they had to meet, you know, we're going to do A, B and C doesn't matter what's actually happening. You know, it, it, uh, I've seen thousands of cases like this. I mean, like, come on, you know, I mean, people in that position should not be given such just overarching decision making over somebody's life in that respect. I, I mean, like there should be a conversation or at least a dialogue that's happening with the family and the patient. Uh, I mean, doctors should not just be able to come in or ho I don't even, I've, even, I've never even heard the term hospitalist. I don't know what the heck right. that is, you know, um, but for them to just come in and say, you know, tests be damned, evidence be damned. This is what I believe is happening. And so we're just going to run with that despite 
everything else that uh, that we're seeing here. So, well, you know what happened, um, you know, so I blew the whistle in September of 21. Yeah. And um, and and at that point, I, I knew I had to do something drastic, like show people because the culture had already changed. Mm-hmm. The culture had already changed on the floor. And I'm like, these people are getting used to this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And when I say these people, I'm talking about my coworkers, the nurses and the doctors. And, and I'm like, this is not normal. Like, have we not learned so much from 2020 to 2021? You know, and, and Curtis is talking about early 2022. Uh, yeah, that's, and, and I, so- I can't believe this happened in 2022. That's just, it's insane. Right. Well, one of the one of the uh, Jody point makes a, a pretty good point about uh, just the way these people were acting and things like that. One, these all these people all had choices. Mm-hmm. And while I'm not suggesting that uh, this monolithic group of doctors and nurses were set out to to, to be you know mean spirited killing fields, I, that's not the case. But they the the administrators had a protocol that they needed to meet in order to get the cash incentives that were being laid out by the organizational agencies from the federal governments, the NIH, the CMS, everybody like that. So they had a formula. They knew that they could. I mean, let me ask you this question, Zach. Do you think that the CEO of Cleveland Hospital changed his business model overnight without having a guarantee of replacement income? Oh, no, not at all. No, no. They, they knew and, exactly what they were doing. Yeah. Right. So and then the doctors have to make the decision about whether or not they're going to go along with it. They're still human beings and they chose to do so. That's a choice they'll have to live with. But the hospital still had a choice even when they put took Tammy upstairs and she was diagnosed with pneumonia. I don't know, Jody, that, that's a forty five hundred dollar bill. But when when she left, my bill with the insurance company was two hundred ninety eight thousand dollars for her treatment. That's just what they build insurance, Zach. They got another hundred and fifty six thousand or so, roughly from what I can figure out, for ventilating her, for poisoning her, and for labeling her COVID when she died. Yeah. Now, oh, why? Yeah. What? 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 How can that possibly be protected? Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, that's it, what happened when they changed the ICD ten codes, right? And and they made it presumed positive. Presumed. Um, or or positive, and there's absolutely zero way. There is no way that we can ever go back through all that data and find out who was true, you know, um, but COVID or not, right? Like because they could say based on one or two symptoms, you're Fever. presumed, you're mm-hmm. presumed, and that's where the money came from. Yeah. It, it's crazy. It's it's really. Well, you know, I'm really glad that you're going to be telling your story at this hearing, and I can only hope that uh, the legislators that you're going to be speaking with uh, will take action on this. You know, I'm I'm glad that this uh, an investigation into what happened is happening in Texas. Uh, A.G. Ken Paxton is uh, is going in the right direction, Uh, but you know that's just one state, and this happened in the 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 other 49. So we we need to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Listen, uh, do you mind if I uh, bring in a couple of uh, people from the audience? We've got four people on the line, and I'd like to at least get to a couple of them before we close out for the night. And, Mom, can you hear me? Chi-Chi needs to go outside. I need you to come get him. Um, Okay, let's go ahead and bring in uh, DJ Vector, our uh, our first caller. All right, Vector, go ahead and unmute, and uh, let's, uh, let's see what's on your mind. Can you hear me, buddy? Are you there? Yes, I can, Zach. How are you going? I'm good, good. Good to hear from you. How are you doing? 
I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. Uh, hello to Jody and uh, Curtis. It's, uh, it's yep, a pleasure to, to meet you. It's, I've been listening the whole time. It's, uh, I've, I've almost got tears in my eyes. So, uh, yeah, I really feel for you, and I'll be praying for both of you and, and hoping that things go well in Arizona when you go to this intergovernmental panel thing that's being put together. That's like between uh, Arizona and other states and the federal government, is it, specifically? If you could give me um, some um, information. There, this, yeah, this will be the first state um, conference and congressional hearing that's taken place in the, in the U.S. Attorney General Paxson in Texas is taking a different path. Um, so one of these is going to have to pan out, if not, you know, both. But yeah, it's the first time in the states that they uh, that a congressional hearing has been uh, put together for this particular topic. That's great. So hopefully something comes of it and uh, there's at least exposure and some people start getting charged and going to jail because that process has to begin at some point. There's been so much medical malpractice, uh, just financial malpractice, uh, political malpractice going on are surrounding all of this entire um, uh, potentially, I don't know, bioweapons attack. We, nobody really knows. It seems like it was very planned and coordinated that like everybody knew when they announced the COVID here, it was they, like when I went to, uh, uh, I had to go to a meeting and the office already had like laminated posters up about COVID. There was so much information. This is like the day of or the day after. I thought there's no way that they could have, uh, you know, done this without knowing about it in advance somehow. So that, that was just very interesting. And um, uh, yeah, I just have to thank you both for your service and I'll, I'll be praying for you. I don't really have too much more to, to add to that. Um, thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Vector. I appreciate your call. And thanks for hanging on hold as uh, Curtis told his story. That's okay. It's my pleasure. Again, I'll be praying for you and we love you both. Uh, take care and uh, uh, we'll be uh, following everything closely. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Love you. Right. Bye-bye. Love you, brother. Have a great night. <clears throat> Um, you know, uh, you mentioned Rico. I, I feel like that's the perfect path to take on this. You know, you look at this situation and it's so clear that there was this coordinated effort. I mean, everybody worked on a profit motive. You know, I mean, you look at uh, like Purdue Pharma and getting the nation hooked on OxyContin. You know, they had uh, they had a methodology. They, they scientifically figured out how they were going to get it into the hands of rural doctors and then into the pockets of uh, unsuspecting people who thought that they were getting, uh, you know, decent health care. And they got people hooked so that they would uh, be able to make as much money as possible. You know, in this instance, they sought to to murder people so that they right. could make as much money as possible. It's, it's that, disgusting. That, can I read you something real quick, Zach? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. It's a brief thing, but it's Webster's dictionary definition of what a cartel is okay the first the first uh sentence or line in this um uh, dictionary is a written agreement between belligerent nations or yeah belligerent nations a combination of independent commercial or industrial enterprises designed to limit competition or fix pricing quotes illegal drug cartels mm-hmm. a combination of political groups for a common action. Those are the three defined sentences. And then the those are the, uh, the basically the synonym topics of those. And then the description of what it is, and I'll, this will help. A cartel is an organization of a few independent producers for the purpose of improving the profitability of the firms involved. Sound mm-hmm. familiar? Oh, yeah. Pfizer, NIH, NAIA, you name it. This usually involves some restriction of output, control of price, and allocation. Wow, does that sound familiar? No, oh, yeah. but nothing but remdesivir or vaccination, no other early treatment, no therapeutics, no nothing. 
usually involves restriction of output control price and allocation. Members of a cartel generally maintain their separate identities. All these people were within the silos of their own organizations. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And they re retain financial independence while engaging in cooperative policies, hence a protocol. Cartels can either be domestic or international. And because their cartels restrict competition and often result in higher prices for consumers, they're outlawed. This, this is, and then if you look at the 35 uh, charges that can be brought under the cartel or, or the, yeah, the cartel or RICO and racketeering laws, these guys hit 30 of the 35 without getting out of bed. Wow. I mean, it, just look at the organized communication that took place to structure it. The, mm -hmm. the CEO hospitals that had to get engaged to drop their 100-year business policy overnight to adopt this new business policy. Mm -hmm. the, the incentive strategies that, and Jody can speak to this, and there's an article at AAAP that has the receipts. They had, listen to this, this is a drug deal all day long. They advanced the money to the hospitals that agreed to participate the hospitals then had to re report out the COVID protocol, the ventilation, the remdesivir, and the death in order to not be charged back for that money. Oh, wow. That's, oh, like, I, fronting I your, that. that's like fronting your drug man, yeah. the drugs and the cash to get it going this month. And if you don't get it done, I come break a you legs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So these guys had the incentive model wasn't where you got a commission like selling a car for a COVID ventilation. They were told you were you're going to do these things. Here's the money to do it. And if you if you don't uh, provide receipts for all of this stuff, that's why when Co when Jody brings up presumed COVID, that was part of that whole mechanism in the late 2021 uh, to for them to be able to soften the qualifier so that hospitals were not having to report so many positive tests. J Jody, just say, hear, hearing that, it makes it just so much more understandable uh, why they were pushing to put people into these positions. I mean, uh, being reimbursed is one thing, but getting paid the money in advance and then needing to provide the the product so that they can justify that cash being in their accounts. I mean, it, you know, it's obvious. And that's not me saying it. That's an article in the AAP uh, publication, a hundred-year-old medical journal that publicized that just last month. Wow. Wow. Uh, all right. We've got our next caller on the line. Caller, uh, can I get your name? Nate Pliskin. <laughs> so, what's going on, DJ? How you doing? I'm doing okay. How Excellent. are you? I'm doing go doing okay. well. Doing well, sir. So uh, okay. I... I Hopefully you've been you've been listening for a while and uh, you heard Curtis's story or Jody's story. What's on your mind? Yeah, I heard I heard everything. Uh, Curtis, uh, my heart goes out to you. That's that's absolutely a horrible story. I'm so sorry for you, and I will be praying for you. Thank you. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I've I've gone through something similar in my life, but we're not going to talk about that now. Anyway. Um, First of all, let me say happy Mother's Day to Jody. Happy Thank Mother's you. Day to Red Pill Mom. Happy Mother's Day to every other mother in the audience and in the chat. But the only person I will not say happy Mother's Day to is the father who got belligerent that Pat, it, was a, it was a trans man um, and he gave birth to a baby, and the nurse gave him the baby and said, "Here you go, mom." And he got belligerent with the nurse because she called he called her a mom. 
<laughs> I, I, I haven't heard mom, that one. <laughs> I'm a father, and I'm thinking, boy, is that kid going to be screwed up when it gets older? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have a we're going to have a whole generation of uh, confused kids here in, in America. It's kind of nuts. Oh, I could imagine the fights in the schoolyard. Yes, daddies can have babies. My daddy had a baby. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. 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 I, I saw that. I, uh, I think I actually showed a, a clip on the show here a couple of weeks ago of a non-binary teacher reading a book to uh, to kids, like to eight-year-olds. And, uh, and, and, and it was about some person who is non-binary and, uh, and the kids, like they were already like clued in, like they know about, you know, people choosing their, their gender identity. And, you know, sometimes boys can be girls and girls can be boys. And sometimes they can be non-binary. It's like, they've got them programmed already. Uh, and it's cause it's everywhere. It's all around us now. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, you know, technology, I think a lot of technology is to blame. I mean, oh, sure. they get, I see people give kids iPhones and iPads. They're, they're two years old. They're better at it than, a, at adult, than adults are. Mm-hmm. Um, Very true. Yeah. But I, wa- I wanted to tell you, I'm sorry I'm pivoting here, but I wanted to tell you that since the last time that I spoke on your show, mm-hmm. I cannot see any Rumble live, anything live on Rumble. You can't. TV. You can't see it. Nothing. No, it will not play. That's weird. When your live shows come on, I can I click on it. It will not play. Any anybody else doing a live show, I click on it. It will not play. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know why it does this. Like after you post the show, I can watch it. But when you're live, it won't even come on. Huh. Anybody, anybody live on Rumble will not come on, and I don't know what it is. And if it's rumble, they better fix it because I'm getting pissed off and I'm not the type of person to be pissed off. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Uh, what what type of a device are you like opening rumble up in on your TV? Is it like a Roku stick or is it like rumble built no, into no, the TV? Straight, no, straight, straight uh, from the TV. TV has um, apps. It has an internet, internet app. I go to the okay. internet, go to rumble, go to my bookmarks. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, so you're like, you've got a browser on your TV that allows you. Okay, I would say, um, make sure that your your operating system, whatever the TV's running on, is is uh, updated to the most recent version. That's like the first thing I would start with. Um, and and then if that doesn't work, then maybe it's something that Rumble has done with their stream. I know that a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Uh, I see some new options on the back end that allows me to I, maybe change the way that the, the stream comes out. Like I can, uh, they have a, a DVR that they put in there. So like when you go to a stream, you can, you should be able to like scrub all the way back to the beginning if you missed it and then continue to watch along with the chat or I can make it higher quality and then there's no DVR, but I make it so there is a DVR. So it, maybe just check to see if it's upgradable first. Well, well, I'll check. I mean, okay. I'm watching it now. I'm watching you now because I, I was so determined. I'm like, God damn it. This has been going on for almost three, almost a month now. I got to watch this show live. I want to watch this show live. So I came in the bedroom and I'm watching it on my computer, oh, which great. I probably wouldn't say. Which I probably shouldn't say because they're going to find a way to do the shit on this fucking computer. <laughs> Shut your computer <laughs> down too. Oh, that's great. Yeah, then I'll be. 
soon I'll be watching you on my phone. You know, I went from a 65-inch TV to a 15-inch monitor. I'm going to go to a 7-inch phone. But by <laughs> God damn it, my cloak or crook, I'm going to watch this show. <laughs> oh, well, I, I appreciate your tenacity, you know, for sure. All right. Well, listen, Absolutely. D- DJ, I'm a, we, I'm we... a stick to it type of guy. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, brother. Listen, we got to take these final callers so we can round out the show, but it's good to hear your voice again. All right, brother. Love you as usual. I know you love us. Please, everybody. God bless. Have a great Mother's Day for all the Mother's Day out there. God bless America. Oh, and Jody, I love the name of that convention. Nothing can stop what is coming. Great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> have a good night brother we'll talk to you soon all right god, god bless. bless god bless peace all right uh we've got two more well, callers we'll take these callers and we'll uh, call it for the night caller make sure you mute that stream mute the stream thank you so much can we get your name loki loki welcome to the program loki how you doing uh, i'm having the best day ever oh glad to hear it glad to hear it so what's on your mind well, uh, so, Curtis, thank you so much for being so brave to come out and telling your story. God bless you so much. And uh, Jody, thank, I got his name right, correct? Yes, yeah, it's Curtis, yep. <laughs> Jody, you know, I, I, I tuned in about 45 minutes ago. Can you refresh up my memory? Uh, Jody was a, a Project Veritas whistleblower. She was a, a nurse in the HHS uh, working on, uh, w- you were on a reservation hospital, is that correct? No, in downtown Phoenix. Downtown Phoenix, okay. It's, but, it's um, Phoenix you, Indian Medical Center. Th- that, that's okay. Mm-hmm. So the Indian, <laughs> I just, I remember that aspect of it. Yes. Yeah. But yes, but so she blew, uh, she blew the whistle uh, uh, with Project Veritas. She wasn't just a whistleblower. She was one of the first whistleblowers to it's step true. up and do this. Yes, yes, very true. Well, I heard your name before, Jody, but I just wanted to reiterate because uh, I think you're a hero. And uh, thank you so much, and God bless you for what you're doing and pulling the attention. I I took some notes. You know, I, I I want to iterate on, let's not forget, all the lies they've gave us. You know, all about Iraq, Bin Laden, Seal Team 6. All the people we lost, the suicide, neglect now. People are afraid to go to the doctor. I have my own stories about going to the VA to have dental work in the middle of COVID and then having come out in full mop gear after driving three and a half hours for a dental appointment, they, they tell me, Oh, you got high blood pressure. You, you have a temperature. <laughs> we have to test you for COVID uh, or we can't fix your teeth. Yeah. 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 It's awful it's awful i'm i'm sorry that that happened and you're right there's there's it's very nefarious and um 
And I and I appreciate your support. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, Loki. You know, so, my whole point. Oh, uh, we just we just lost Loki. Okay, well we're going to take the last call, Loki. I'm sorry, I don't know what happened there. Let's um, we'll take our final caller and uh, and then we'll call it a night. Caller, caller, you're on the air. Go ahead and mute that stream. And uh, hey, hey, what's happening? Oh, hey, and what's happening, Zach? Jody and Curtis, this is Casey. Casey, welcome back to the program, buddy. Uh, okay, so you're our final caller for the night. Uh, what, what's on your mind? Well, first of all, I'd like to uh, wish all the mothers a happy Mother's Day. And I do have a story that links with Curtis to an extent, but I just, with Jody and the whistleblower, I just want to go basically to the critical thinking and the uh, scientific method of this whole pandemic because we were given options of where the virus came from, all right? And what you do with the scientific method is you remove variables and you observe the constants, correct? All right, well, we've been told it either came from a wet market or it came from a lab. Well, have you heard of any wet markets being closed down in the last three years? No, have you heard of any bio labs being shut down? other than the ones in Ukraine by the Russians. So if you're not going to try and fix the problem by eliminating the variables, that means you want the constant to be a problem. So sure. there was no way of eliminating, you know, the, the pandemic because they really weren't trying to. Their options were continue, see how much power they could take. Uh, my, my mother's case, she died little over two years ago, and it's, it's not as compelling as Curtis's is because of the medical mispractice uh, uh, that, that occurred. But uh, she, uh, she died in the hospital after three weeks after her first uh, vaccination, okay? And she was at home, and she didn't go out, and she had no need to get the vaccination, but the rest of the family pushed her to get it. And I understand that and everything, but she uh, was in the hospital for the first week, uh, and there was no, it was not looking good. But then she made a, and, and what happened was the first week that she went, she actually received a, a pint of blood. Okay, and this I'm going to get to Jody with the whole health services. Um, she made a miraculous recovery uh, the week before she died, and she was on her way to getting out, but then, you know, it, it went downhill from there, but it was nice to have at least the conversation at the end. Um, but my curiosity was not necessarily COVID related, but the fact that the blood uh, supply, and I, I've been saying this for years, ever since the AIDS epidemic, uh, the, the Flint water crisis, I think there's a, a big problem with the blood supply in this country, and it doesn't hold well for the medical institutional uh, system to say there is a problem with the, uh, the blood supply. So whether it's lead in the blood supply in Flint, or if it's the, you know, AIDS and COVID, monkeypox, you know, spread in the blood supply, you're taking your chances when you get blood at a hospital. Yeah. Um, and other than quarantining it prior, um, but now the most disturbing thing is I just saw they're, they're lowering the standards on the pre-donor questions about sexual relations 
And so they're really lowering the bar to open up the blood supply to whoever and whoever wants to give it that it's not going to be tested as, as uh, positively or stringently as it should. But also the bigger question, and Jody can probably speak to this if she's a, or, you, or Zach, you could have a special on this as well, how there are like nine types of blood and the golden blood, there's like 24 to 48 people in the world that have antigen null blood. They're called the golden blood. Mm. And I'd like to see some sort of special done on that because I'm just thinking as a species, how are we evolving that 24 to 48 people in the world have a, such a special set and uh, type of blood? What is going on big picture? Jody, any thoughts on that? I, I'm, I'm not aware of the golden blood myself, um, but I mean, uh, what is it, like typo negative? I mean, that's the one that they they generally want. But I can speak to the you know my suspicions about the dangers in the blood supply. I mean, I know back in the 1980s when HIV hit the scene, uh, Bayer was aware of contamination in the blood supply. A bunch of hemophiliacs uh, ended up contracting AIDS as a result of that. And now, as of today, you know, the, I think the the largest uh, uh, population of donors that they're getting is, uh, you know, people who are, are drug addicts and homeless and stuff because they're paying them for their blood. So, um, you know, and, and now with uh, the introduction of the mRNA uh, clot shots into the population, I mean, I think that it, it's even more of a reason to stay away from that stuff if you can. Um I don't know. Is, is there anything that you would recommend that people do? I've heard of people donating their own blood in advance, but I don't know like how long that's even good for. Yeah. I mean, it's if you have a scheduled yeah. surgery, you can, you know, possibly donate it in advance. Um, I, I had this issue with my dad in the hospital twice uh, last June, he needed blood. And um, just a few weeks ago, he needed it again. Um, and it was an emergent situation. And, you know, we just prayed. I just told him we pray, you know, you're, you, you can't stress yourself out, you know, um, the stress of it all. And, you know, you can get a donated blood in the hospital, but the physician has to write an order. And then, you know, it's a process and you get a lot of physicians that say, no, I'm not going to do it. You know? And, um, we had that case here in Arizona. It was a pediatric patient and the physician did order it. And there was a bunch of us that were going to donate. Um, and the, and the child did get donated blood, but you know, uh, as I told you earlier in the program, Zach, I mean, it's really about uh, living in the will of God and, yeah. you know, not living in fear. Yeah, so true. All right, Casey, I'm going to look into well, that subject, but we've got to call it a night because we've got to uh, get off because Jody and Curtis have given us uh, over two hours of their time. So thank you for your call, buddy. I appreciate you. Absolutely. God bless you all. Have all right. a great weekend. And once again, a happy Mother's Day, brother. Thank Absolutely. you. God bless. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, before we uh, get final thoughts, I need to say thank you to Tilly over on Buy Me a Coffee, uh, who said, uh, I'm sending your mom, your fiance, and you to see Nefarious. I sent your mom the theater info. I haven't seen it yet. Can't wait for your movie review. I will absolutely do that. Uh, let me say thank you to Trisha over on Cash App, who said, God bless uh, Jody for sticking with her convictions. Uh, over here on Rumble, uh, Ainsley Michelle earlier said she loved the show. Thank you. And then Joe Tex 2020 says Rumble has an update on the TV app. 
uninstall and reinstall, and you'll get that update. And then Sheikah G says, heaven is much sweeter now. Thank you, Zach, Jody, and Curtis. And then she also joined as a monthly supporter. So I appreciate that. Uh, so uh, you guys, uh, I just want to say both of you, thank you for being here. Uh, Jody, thank you for returning. And Curtis, thank you for sharing your story. I- I'd like to get final thoughts from both of you. You know, at the end of the day, what would you really like people to take away from our conversation tonight? Jody, let's begin with you. Choose, choose your faith. Um, and if you don't have it, find it. Um, essentially, I mean, we're, we're living in dark times and it's just going to get darker. I've been saying this, I've been saying this since 2020, you know, I, I think that the people that stand, um, in the will of God and do his work and that's speaking the truth, right? If you know the truth, you have a duty to speak it. And so, um, you know, that's the only place that you're going to find um, joy and peace. You're not going to find it in the world. So ultimately, at the end of the day, that's my mission to have my story be a testimony. And, um, and, and also, I would like to let you guys know, too, that I did help create a show called Nurses Out Loud, and we air five days a week on America Out Loud Talk Radio, and all of our shows go to podcast. Um, on any podcast platform. So we have a different nurse host daily. And so please support that. Um, we're getting about fifteen to 30,000 views uh, show. We've only been out a couple months. And so uh, share, like, Zach, like, you know, um, platforms. Again, stay off of mainstream media. If you're listening to Zach, you probably already do that. That's right. Um, so there's... <laughs> There's your piece that's protected, uh, but encourage your loved ones, share the shows because they may not know, you know, what's out there. And so um, all the media platforms are, are where at, that in the Bible. Amen. Amen. All right. And, uh, and Curtis, uh, what would your final thoughts be? Yeah, I think I probably have three or four uh, that come to mind on the personal side. Um any family out there, you need to have a plan. Um, if, before you take your loved one to the hospital, um, in today's world, um, Jody keenly uh, highlighted the fact that we're in some pretty dark times. You shouldn't have a nurse. You should have a phone a number of somebody that you can call and get concierge-type service, someone that will come to your home and take care of you if you have to. Line up your medications that you think you might need. Uh, get those things set aside so that you're prepared and know exactly what you're going to do. Just like if you had a fire in your house or you had you know to prepare for any other emergency, um, today's um, medical situation looks a lot different than it did just three years ago, unfortunately. And so uh, number one would be have a plan um, for the families. Two, uh, we have to raise the level of con- consciousness about this uh, protocol situation and the people that were involved in it enough where we start as we can stop this from happening now. It's still Jody will uh, uh, acknowledge this. It's happening today. Yeah. The same exact thing that took my wife is still happening to 3000 people today. They're dying, whether they have COVID or not, because of their being placed in this protocol. They may have a bad kidney. They may have a bad whatever. They're not getting treated for those things today. They're being pushed through this protocol for that, for that same reason. So we have to elevate the conversation in a way through podcasts like yours, Zach, and others, where we can uh, drive the conversation at a higher level and start asking the appropriate questions, not just around vengeance, justice, pain, kidnapping, you know, all of those sorts of things. We need to move to a different kind of a question. 
And then lastly, um, as Jody indicated, there's a couple of programs out there that are I support that um, I'm, I'm not in, um, I'm not an owner or partnering or anything like that. But I I support the 1000 widows dot uh, or is it com or org? Dot org. 1000 widows dot org. Yeah, one of them goes to a, not a good site. The other one goes to our their their site. So the I'm sorry, the uh, 1000 widows dot org. Uh, is a group of there's over 60,000 participants on that website right now who have either lost a loved one or a spouse. Um, and um, th these people are providing resources such as workshops. Uh, if you lose a loved one and it's your breadwinner, you need help figuring out how to manage the funds. Maybe you have to look at your home, your cars and things like that. And you just need good counsel. So we want to put people in touch with folks that can provide that, that are God fearing, uh, good, honest people in the community and do it around the country. Uh, and then there's a documentary being released uh, May 20th called Making a Killing. And it is a part two of the, the follow-up to the first Making a Killing. Uh, and it is all about the money and the protocols and the incentives that were built into um, the, the structure for how and why this happened. Uh, I happen to be in that documentary, but uh, that's not why you should watch it. There's a lot of uh, uh, whistleblower information from other nurses like Jody who followed her, um, and then uh, some doctors and, and legislators that participate in it as well. So uh, makingakilling.com, uh, um, check that out. Uh, and then 1000widows.org, a great organization helping countless people around the country to, to gain um, resources that they might not have right in their back pocket, but have a plan. If you're a family individual, uh, have a plan. Number one, have a plan. Okay, great. And well, you know, I, I'd like to follow that up real yeah. quick. Um, when you were talking about concierge services, um, remnantnursing.org. That's right. Um, that, that is a, a, a faith-based organization that I am working with. Uh, remnantnursing.org. Uh, check that out. Okay. Awesome. So I, I'm going to uh, see about getting in touch with the people behind 1000widows.org and then also the people who made Making a Killing. And we'll see if we can't have them all on the show as well. And before we go, uh, thank you again to Just Duckies. Uh, Range said, I love all of you, Zach. You don't realize the lives you saved exposing COVID and having a platform for us to discuss. I, you know, if I saved one life, then, you know, that's uh, uh, extremely humbling. Um, D Patriot uh, says you are the best in the business, Zach. Much love. Thank you very, very much. And then Low Country Brooklyn gave out the link to uh, the uh, Nurses Out Loud podcast, americaoutloud.com forward slash nurses out loud. I'm going to go ahead and subscribe right after this. And uh, one more time, thank you to everybody in the audience. Thank you for supporting the program. Thank you for being here and helping us uh, uh, to foster this conversation. And thank you, of course, to Jody for the work you've done. And Curtis, thank you for your courage. Uh, I appreciate all of you. Good luck, everyone. God bless. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Thank you.
Thank you, White Knight126 over on Rumble. Appreciate you. Thank you, everyone. All right, guys, uh, special overdrive for the people over on Foxhole because the scratching didn't release. I just released it. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that everybody got their free gold pills. So if you're still here, if you're still out there in the audience, then this is a very special and unscheduled performance. Uh, I hope you guys had a good time tonight. I know that it's kind of an odd way to put it, but certainly I think that uh, the uh, idea of fellowship, being able to come together and talk about these things, they're just so painful. You know, we're, what, we're, what are we trying to do? We're trying to change uh, a system that is designed to kill us. Uh, and uh, and we're working uh, against the stream. I mean, the, the flow is not in our favor, uh, but we have to continue to try because uh, every life saved is worth it. So thank you very much, everybody, for hanging out with us tonight. We are going to go ahead and, uh, and uh, well, I, yeah, it looks like the scratch-in is, uh, is done. Uh, I see that a couple of people won couple of gold pills. Debbie just won two gold pills. Uh, yeah, Porpoiseful, Val Hall, Thumper Rose, Judy, Deep Patriot, and Bell. All right. Thank you for being here. Uh, good luck and God bless.